Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Chuck about solar, why does the U.S. only get about 1% of its, uh, of its electricity right now from solar? I mean, if it's so great. Well, it's increasing rapidly, and uh, the, the big change in the cost reduction has come just in the last few years. Uh, and where technology particularly is concerned, also politics sometimes, there was a, a great economist who died a few years ago, Rudy Dornbush, and he said this. He said, uh, things take longer to happen than you think they will but then they happen much faster than you thought they could. And we've seen that with all these technological advances like the smartphones and so forth. We've seen it in politics also. Uh, When I was a boy growing up a lot of the time in the South, I remember when the Civil Rights Movement was gaining momentum. I'll tell you, the resistance to civil rights laws was just as fierce, if not more so, than the resistance to solving the climate crisis. But ultimately, we crossed a political tipping point, and people realized, oh, it's just really a question of right right and wrong. A lot of people who watch and say, I've never seen anything like this. You heard this phrase, this is not normal. Uh, I'm a commercial crabber, and I've been working the Chesapeake Bay for 50-plus years. And I have a crab house uh, business out on the water. And the uh, water level is the same as it was when the place was built in 1970. Uh, I'm not a scientist, but I'm a keen observer. And um, if sea level rise is occurring, why am I not seeing signs of it? I mean, we're, our island is disappearing, but it's because of erosion and not sea level rise. And What do you think the erosion is due to, uh, Mayor? Uh, wave action, storms. Has that increased uh, any? Um, not really. I well, mean, so, so, it, the, so you're losing the island even though the waves and haven't increased? Yes, this, this erosion has been going on since uh, Captain John Smith discovered the island and named it. One of the challenges of this issue is taking what the, what the scientists say uh, and, and translating it into terms that are believable to people where they can see the consequences in the in their own lives and and I get that and I try every day to figure out ways to ways to do that um, reminds me a little bit of a story from Tennessee about a guy that was trapped in a flood uh, and he was sitting on the front porch and they came by in an SUV to rescue him and he said no the Lord will provide and water kept on rising he went up to the second floor and they came by the window in a boat said, come on, we're here to rescue. He said, nope, the Lord will provide. 
Then he went on uh, up to the rooftop as the water kept rising, and they came over in a helicopter and dropped a rope ladder. He said, nope, Lord will provide. Well, he died in the water and went to heaven. He said, God, I thought you were going to provide. And he said, what do you mean I sent you an SUV, a boat, and a helicopter? And I think that what we, we have heaven sent, so to speak, enough solar energy in one hour to provide what the entire world uses for a full year. And from wind, we get 40 times as much energy as the entire world needs. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 6th of August, year of our Lord, 2017, and it's a free-for-all show. I couldn't get a show done on Friday. I apologize for that. I just could not do it with the work schedule. Uh, I couldn't get it in. So, uh, what we just listened to is some pretty awesome. That was a commercial crabber of 50 years telling Al Gore his the sea levels haven't changed. But you keep saying they have. And all the montages this week of this guy going out and running his suck because he started another Inconvenient Truth Part 2. And um, I just thought I'd like to start the show with that. Because once again, it's all how you sell things. The problem with the left is... It's histronics, you know what I mean? We're just going to be hysterical and pretty much tell everybody that the end is nigh. And you end up being that guy on the street corner that, you know, the, the end of the world is now, who looks like a bag man. So, I mean, that, that's what I think Al Gore looks like, because every one of his prophecies have turned out to be false. We have more ice. We're supposed to have no ice. All these places are supposed to be underwater. They're still here. There is global climate warming change cooling or whatever we're calling it. But when you act like a fool, it's hard for people to buy off on your crazy. Other crazy this week, um, FEC filing of Maxine Water. Oh, yeah, 400 bucks for fancy wines and steaks. She spent 5K at Del Frisco. And she only raised $15,000 for the whole quarter. And she continues to pay her daughter $8,500 a year. Anybody else in the same position doing that? Oh, yeah, we'd have a problem. Additionally, the West Virginia governor ditched the Dems. ABC, NBC ignored it. CBS covered it for 13 seconds. Ben Rose says, prize for switching parties, a deck chair reserved on the Titanic. Dan Real tweeted back to him, okay, Ben, it's West Virginia. They're just some of those deplorables your party doesn't want hanging around West Hampton. Others reminded him that uh, the anointed one destroyed the Democrats. But a lot of people were saying this. Lots of people in West Virginia can't support themselves or speak English. That those are the type of things. Until Selena Zito, a big lib, finally said, respectfully, as someone who comes from this region that is incredibly bigoted, people from West Virginia are incredibly hardworking folks, folks. This makes me so sad. This is exactly how folks from West Virginia think the cosmopolitan class views them. And then they go out and prove it. But he doubled down. These people doubled down. Of course they're hardworking. They wouldn't mean well. Just closed-minded, provincial, angry, and easily misled. My wife's dad was a coal miner in PA. And this went on for a long time. The biggest problem is they chanted, lock her up. And that pissed off the elitist class. 
thus they had to get all whiny about West Virginia. And, and I remember Republicans changing parties and turning to independents under Obama. The media made a huge deal out of it. And in this case, nothing. Nothing. But the big angst this week, if you could, you know, it's hard. It's like that website, uh, two weeks ago news. There's so much angst in the media right now. It's, it's like, what is the biggest thing? And for me this week, this soundbite was the biggest thing on Twitter, on CNN, everywhere. Not why I'm here today, but I think if I remember what you said correctly, I'll say it again. The president has confidence in all of his cabinet and expects them to perform their duties honorably and fully on behalf of the American people. But since the last question is, is not on the subject at hand, I will take one actual last question on the subject at hand. So I will take, yes. Uh, what you're proposing or what the president is proposing here does not sound like it's in keeping with American tradition when it comes to immigration. The Statue of Liberty says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. It doesn't say anything about speaking English or being able to uh, compu- be a computer programmer. Uh, aren't you trying to change what it means to be an immigrant coming into this country if, if you're telling them uh, you have to speak English? Uh, can't people learn how to speak English when they get here? Well, first of all, right now, it's a requirement that to be naturalized, you have to speak English. So the notion that Speaking English wouldn't be a part of our immigration systems would be actually very ahistorical. Secondly, I don't want to get off into a whole thing about history here, but the Statue of Liberty is a symbol of liberty enlightening the world. It's a symbol of American liberty lighting the world. The poem that you're referring to that was added later is not actually part of the original Statue of Liberty, but more fundamentally, the history, they, but more fundamentally, you're saying the that history that does not represent. I'm saying that I'm saying that the notion. I'm saying the notion that the. I'm saying the notion. Sorry. No, that sounds like, that sounds Jim, like, let me ask you a question. That sounds like some uh, national park revisionism. No. The Statue, National, you, the Statue of Liberty Jim, has always Jim, been a beacon of hope to the world Jim, for people to send Jim, do you believe, people to this country. Jim, and they're not always going to speak Jim, English, Stephen. Jim, they're not believe, always going to be highly skilled. They're not always Jim, going to be Jim, somebody. Jim, I, I appreciate your speech. Jim, I appreciate your speech. So let's let's talk about this. Jim, let's talk about this. In 1970, when we let in 300,000 people a year, was that violating or not violating the Statue of Liberty law of the land? In, 19, in the 1990s, when it was half a million a year, was it violating or not violating the Statue of Liberty law of the land? Was it violating? When it was 700,000 a year, no, tell me what years, tell me what years, tell me what years meet, tell me what years meet Jim Acosta's definition of the Statue of Liberty poem, Law of the Land. So you're saying a million a year is the Statue of Liberty number. 900,000 violates it, 800,000 violates it. Sort of bringing a Jim. press one for English philosophy here to Jim. immigration, and that's never for been Jim. what the United States has been about. Steve. That, I mean, you're, but you're also your, your statement is also shockingly ahistorical in another respect too, which is if you look at the history of immigration, it's actually ebbed and flowed. We've had periods of very large waves, followed by periods of less immigration and more immigration, and during the we've had a period of immigration right now. The yeah, it wants to build a wall. Actually, you want to it's actually about a sweeping change. To surely, the Jim, you don't actually think that a wall affects green card policy. You couldn't possibly believe that, do you? Actually, the notion that you actually think immigration is at a historic law, the foreign-born population in the United States today, Jim, Jim, talking about how border crossings do you really, I want to be serious, Jim, do you really at CNN not know the difference between green card policy and illegal immigration? I mean, you really don't know that. He came to this country in 1962, right before the Cuban Missile Crisis, 
and obtained a green card. <laughs> yes. People who emigrated okay, to this so, country so, should Jim, eventually... People who so Jim, emigrated to this country question, through, Jim. not through Ellis Island... As a factual, as Jim, as a factual but question... In ways, do a, obtain a green card at some point. They do it through a lot of hard work. And yes, they may learn English as a second language later on in life. So, but, but this Jim, whole this whole notion of well, they could learn, you know, they have to learn English before they get to the United States. Are we just going to bring in people from Great Britain and Australia? Jim, as actually, I honestly say, I am shocked at your statement that you think that only people from Great Britain and Australia would know English. It's actually it reveals your cosmopolitan. Uh, bias to a shocking degree that in your mind, no, this is an amazing, this is an amazing moment. This is an amazing moment that you think only people from Great Britain or Australia would speak English is so insulting to millions of hardworking immigrants who do speak English from all over the world. Jim, have you honestly, Jim, have you honestly never met a, an immigrant from another country who speaks English outside of Great Britain and Australia? Is that your personal experience? But that's not what you said. And it shows it shows your cosmopolitan bias. And I just want to say... Engineer the racial and ethnic flow of people into this country. Yeah, that is one of the most outrageous, insulting, ignorant, and foolish things you've ever said. And for you, that's still a really... The, the notion that you think that this is a racist bill is so wrong and so insulting. Jim, the reality is is that the foreign-born population into our country has quadrupled since 1970. That's a fact. It's been mostly driven by green card policy. Now, this bill allows for immediate nuclear family members to come into the country, much as they would today, and then it adds an additional point space system. The people who have been hurt the most, the people who've been, the people who've been, the people who've been, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy you're advocating are apparently just unfettered, uncontrolled migration. The people who've been hurt the most by the policy, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy that you're, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy you're advocating are immigrant workers and minority workers and African-American workers and Hispanic workers. And it has African-American no community. Now, you brought it up again. You said you wanted to have a conversation and not target. Is it going to be a target? This is what we want to do. Community, are you going to target? I'm not trying to be funny. But right, I know what you're saying. What you're saying is 100% correct. We want to help unemployed African-Americans in this country and unemployed workers of all backgrounds get jobs. And insinuations like Jim made trying to ascribe nefarious motives to a compassion immigration measure designed to help newcomers and current arrivals alike is wrong. And this is a positive, optimistic proposal that says 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, we want to have an immigration system that takes care of the people who are coming here and the people who are already living here by having standards, by having a real clear requirement that you be able to support yourself financially, by making sure that employers can pay a living wage. And that's the right policy for our country, and it's the president's commitment to taking care of American workers. I apologize, Jim, if things got heated, but you did make some pretty rough insinuations. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll hand it over to Sarah. I think that went exactly as planned. I think that was what Sarah was hoping would happen. I think that I think that was exactly what we were hoping to have happen. Thank you. That's a reporter. That's Jim Acosta again. And it spurred stuff like Chris Moody from the New York Times, the time I went to summer camp with a future mini Trump. 
where he did a whole article, and this was news in the paper of record, about him as a child flipping tables. Politico uh, uh, publishes piece accusing Stephen Miller of anti-Semitism, even though Stephen Miller's a Jewish person. So what is a cosmopolitan? Is a cousin to elitist, but with a more sinister undertone? It's a way of branding people or movement that are unmoored to the traditions and beliefs of a nation, identify more with like-minded people regardless of their nationality. One reason why cosmopolitan is an unnerving term is that it was the key to an attempt to Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin to purge the culture of dissident voices. <laughs> that was an article. Lawrence Tribe, another reporter. There should be a law barring the payment of federal funds to non-humans. No further filters needed to expel Miller from the federal payroll. John Schneider, non-humans? You mean like undermention? Do you really want to go there? There should be a law barring payment of federal funds to university ignoring the First Amendment. No further filters needed. Expel them. 1930s Nazis say subhuman. 2010 Harvard Jews say non-humans equals righteous. Andrea Mitchell, Trump aide Stephen Miller, lecturing Cuban-American Jim Acosta of CNN on green card policy, which his family lived firsthand. Rude. Deplorable Imhoff, this gem from Andrea Mitchell, the most biased reporter at Fake News NBC, which is saying something. She was crying when Trump got elected. Ari Fleischer, Acosta, an advocate for a political point of view, not as a neutral reporter. He's not even playing the devil's advocate. This is bias. At this point, Acosta is just the devil part of devil's advocate. These are his views, and he's just a pure activist. Regular folks. Stephen Miller trending again? I did, I did not see, I did not see that coming. Nazi. Nazi. N-A-Z-I. Nazi Richard Spencer mentee Stephen Miller at the podium. Jeffrey Guterim. Why didn't someone from the press stand up to Stephen Miller and shout, this is America, you Nazi pig. Greg Oler. Stephen Miller should stick to running his dead mother's motel. Hashtag psycho. White supremacist Trump advisor. Stephen Miller appearing a White House press briefing to justify cuts on illegal on legal immigration. And Navarro, you guys, this Stephen Miller guy is creepy for real, going to turn off his press conference. He gives me the heebie-jeebies. Dan Pfeiffer, all the kids who picked on Stephen Miller in elementary school, oh, America, an apology. Yeah. They went to the Nazi. He's a white supremacist. He's a Jewish person. But, you know, don't get facts in the way. But... Acosta ran with this this week. He thought he was the shit. He said, what you saw unfold in the briefing room is that Miller really just can't take that kind of heat. The whole world said, Jim is the only person on the planet that saw that. And this is the montage of CNN trying to get ratings off Jim Acosta being an advocate, not a journalist. All right, there she is. Lady Liberty, a symbol of America's benevolent invitation. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. But the new White House policy on immigrants calls that promise into doubt. Let's take on the question of who exactly we are and what this country is about. He proposes changing the signature promise of our country to welcome those in need, 
by creating a merit-based system that would have kept people like me, my family, and many of you from ever being here. When CNN's Jim Acosta put these concerns to White House senior policy advisor Stephen Miller, it got heated. Let's just put the theater of the absurd to the side for a moment and get back to the main point. The words, the poem, was added later, Miller said. The words being the signature promise of this country from the poem New Colossus by Emma Lazarus. Of course they were added later. The pedestal on which the words were placed came after the gift of the statue. But that's not what Miller was really trying to brush aside. He was trying to brush aside their significance. This isn't about culling illegal immigration or bad hombres, as the president liked to say. This is about changing not just how many, but who gets to come in legally. Restrictions that would brush aside America's greatest strength, the diversity of people who have sacrificed to come here with nothing except the passion of purpose to make better lives and to make this country great. They're not just words added later. They are a solemn vow that was supposed to endure forever. Who are we? What is our definitional premise about who we want right. in this country? And Miller wanted to dance, you know, talking about numbers and what you know and don't know. But at bottom, what do you think this policy is about for the White House? Well, I'm not sure it was a highly skilled performance, uh, if I could uh, borrow a, a term there uh, from the, the president's new immigration policy on the part of Stephen Miller. Uh, it was very much attack the messenger. And, you know, who would have thought uh, that the Statue of Liberty doesn't mean what the Statue of Liberty means because a poem was attached to it later on and wasn't originally inscribed with those words. Uh, I, I think most Americans understand, Chris, uh, what the Statue of Liberty is all about. It's odd to see the White House of the United States of America try to de redefine what the Statue of Liberty means. I saw the look on your face uh, there, April. What was this about for you? Where are we? in terms of the level of discourse between the free media and the White House? Well, the level, the level of discourse today, it reached a new low um, when, especially when he uh, laid into Jim saying he was ignorant. Um, I've never heard anything like that from a White House principal uh, in that room. Now, Jim Acosta, one of the things you got to love about you in April is you... Yeah, they, they tried to really work that. He tried to make like he was a champion of the First Amendment. But my friends, the way the media has acted about any touch on immigration, which is broken, totally shows they're advocates for open borders. I mean, when Obama did DACA, which basically is against the Constitution, against laws, against everything, they cheered it. It was like the best thing ever. But what you had was a president who is sworn to uphold the Constitution and the laws of this country, basically say, go fuck yourself. I'm going around it. They can just stay here. And Reagan did it, and other people did it. I know, it's not like he's the first. But that's, that's once again, fiat by decree. Joe Scarborough, of all people, and the Morning Joe crew, they had a different take than the rest of the media. John Pedorts yesterday, John Pedorts on, on Twitter yesterday, I forget your exact tweet, but it was something like, Jim Acosta is doing so horrifically today 
that I can't believe I agree with him. No, it was something like, I, I, yeah, it was, it was like, uh, Jim, you know, I agree with Jim Acosta and he's destroying his own argument with his comportment. So what did you mean, what did you mean by that? What I mean is that, like, I tend, to, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grandson of, 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 of immigrants. I find it, very hard to take a restrictionist policy because if my grandparents hadn't come in, they would have been murdered by the Nazis, um, and so it's it's discomforting to me. Um, but you know, having having a reporter uh, yammer at a at a White House official by quoting Emma Lazarus's uh, a poem at the base of the Statue of Liberty as though that's the basis for policy, something written in 1883 and we're living in 2017. And like, keeping going, that was part of it. It was so obnoxious. Jim Acosta, you like meet that? someone from Jamaica. I mean, I'm from New York. I know lots of people from Ghana, from foreign countries that speak English. I know 1.5 billion people on Earth, it is said. 1.5 billion <clears throat> speak English. And so, not mostly in the UK. Where things seem to really melt down was when Jim Acosta talked. And we're not we're certainly not putting this on Jim Acosta. It's a, you can watch the clip and choose sides. Or just say, as Tim said afterwards, maybe we shouldn't have TVs in the press room after all. But when <clears throat> Jim Acosta used the language of, uh, it seems like your policies are trying to engineer racial and ethnic uh, percentages or something, it sure sounded like something that you would read out of out of like Mein Kampf or something. I mean, talking about, oh, it looks like you're like engaged in racial engineering and ethnic engineering or something that we would have accused the, uh, the Serbs of doing back in the early 1990s. At that point, it went off the rails. We'll have more on this subject when we actually cover it in the closing the loop. Um, but I just had to hit this up front. This is like one of my thesis statements. This is like, you know, a perfect example of what the media isn't, which is objective. They have set points of view. It always leans left, and they want open borders. They they think anything this administration does, they have to fight. And what looks so biased about this is that when you're taking simple things and trying to construe it into Nazism, you know it's partisan. I mean, you just know it's part. If everything is Nazis, what is Nazis? If everything is racist, what is racist? I mean, seriously. I've talked about it for a year and a half. You are diluting racist. You're diluting everything. Everybody's a fucking Nazi, for Christ's sake. I mean, God, wait till you hear the next stuff. Anyway, New York Times uh, is telling journalists, don't talk to anybody, basically. Colleagues, a number of people in the newsroom have seen emails recently for someone claiming to be a student researching a media project and asking for face-to-face -face interviews. While we haven't nailed down the particulars, we are concerned that this could be a ruse by someone trying to trick unwary time journalists into unguarded or damaging statement. No doubt you recall the CNN producer. We all know that it's important to remain fair and politically impartial in our public statements. Oh, are you sure? Because <laughs> you don't print that. Please keep that in mind as your conversations with members of the public, even reasonable or lighthearted remarks can sometimes be made to appear improper. Basically, what they're saying is, shut the fuck up. Don't talk to anybody. Don't say anything. Let it go. Because if you do that, you are going to 
get caught. And here's my deal on that. If you really, really want to be objective, and if you are objective, and if you're actually a news source, not a partisan mouthpiece, you wouldn't be worried about people talking. But what they're afraid to get out is the lean. What is the lean? What are we doing? And it's pretty obvious by the New York Times. Anything we can find negative on Trump. We want to get rid of Trump. Trump needs to go away. Trump needs to go the fuck away. Like yesterday. That's that's what we need to do. And if we don't do it, we're, we're, we're just screwed. We're just screwed. So, um... We're going to go into the loop. I just wanted to cover one more thing. Obama is pushing the following people to run for president. And that following people is none other than Deval Patrick. Deval Patrick. Yeah, that's that's who he wants to be president. So you guarantee most Ricky Tick, you're going to hear a lot of Deval Patrick in your news. It's going to come. So we're going to go into close the loop, but I wanted to finish two things really quick before we get in there. Number one is just a snippet that I wanted to preface because the beginning of the loop is immigration. And of course, we're going to go into the DOG policy and actually what happened and some crazy shit that's happened in California that tie into other podcasts. But Tom Brokaw, instead of calling them internment camps in World War II, he's saying they're concentration camps. And somewhere along the line this week, somebody lied. They, they, the media believes they lied. So Chuck Todd got on his little soapbox and he talked about if he lied, he'd get fired. I just want to make sure everybody understands. This is the same network that had Brian Williams that lied forever about it under fire that wasn't true, who was terminated and then rehired and now has a show on their network. And this is a guy who was a DNC staffer and his wife is a major player as a DNC strategist who literally threw birthday parties for Jennifer Palmieri during an election. And he is what they call the senior or director of politics for NBC. He's a senior guy. But he he's going to actually have the intellectual dishonesty to say the soundbite you're about to hear. So we're going to go into close the loop with two more stupid fucking people in the media. This year marks a somber anniversary, 75 years since a shameful chapter in American history. I want to take you back the year after Pearl Harbor with paranoia spreading about everything relating to the Japanese. President Roosevelt signed an executive order 9066. Japanese Americans were forced from their homes and businesses at gunpoint and shipped to primitive concentration camps in remote areas. In August 1942, 10,000 Japanese Americans from the West Coast were shipped to a remote, barren concentration camp. That's what it was in north central Wyoming. But young men of draft age were drafted out of the camp and sent to war 
There's an amazing new book out called Just Americans about the 442nd. That was Danny Inouye's outfit, the most heavily decorated one in Europe, while their relatives were in concentration camps, effectively. Yeah. It's really important for us to go back and remember some of the moments mm -hmm. we are not proud of. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's right, history. absolutely. You know, and so many Americans were really unaware later, our generation and younger generations like yours, uh, were completely unaware of what had happened there. And we do need to be reminded, especially during these days. Mm -hmm. Tom, so important. Powerful thank you. piece. Uh, because credibility is the currency of the realm here. Like, we're not trading things. We're not doing commodities here. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to traffic in information, context, and truth so that people understand the world around them. Mm -hmm. And this defeats that purpose. So the press has a credibility issue in part because of our failings mm -hmm. and in part because of uh, the fact that we've been used as a political target to bludgeon for right. political purposes by folks on both sides, but particularly the right. And I said this yesterday. I'm going to... There is some segment of the population that is, you know, watching, you know, what the politicians are saying, watching the press and thinks, I don't know what to believe and I don't know who to believe. And they sort of throw up their hands and say, I give up. And I've had that conversation with folks. I'm like, are you kidding me? I always want to say I would be fired for lying. You would be, but not everybody believes that. Okay, what prefaced the talk about immigration that made the media lose their mind is this week, and, and we're putting in our clothes a loop because it's it's something that already happened and we covered it. They were talking about working on affirmative action. So the Trump administration is preparing to redirect resources of the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division towards investigating and suing universities over affirmative action admission policies deemed to discriminate against white applicants, according to a document obtained by the New York Times. The document, an internal announcement to a civil rights division, seeks current lawyers interested in working for a new project on investigations of possible litigation related to intentional race-based discrimination in college and university admissions. In an internal memo obtained by the Times, advertised for lawyers within the agency who would be interested into a new initiative that includes investigation and possibility blah, 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 and just repeating itself. According to the Times report, the memo does not list any specific um, group of college applicants that could be at risk of discrimination. However, the phrasing intentional race-based discrimination is geared towards affirmative action programs that aim to recruit more minority students. The memo appears to be a project that will be carried out in office within the Civil Rights Division. The Justice Department declined the newspaper's request both to provide more details about the new initiative or to make John Gore, acting head of the division, available for interview. The Department of Justice has not discussed personal matters, so we'll decline comment. So this is another goddamn leak that got out. They literally brought on scholars. One of them was Ariana Huffington. They talked about the Statue of Liberty, and, and this is all going to be twisted in with the immigration. You got immigration, you got this one, and this was a whole week of, oh, they're just fucking racist. But while we're talking about this, understand, California's kicked ICE workers out of their offices. So no ICE workers can be in the labor office at all. They can't be there in California. They kicked them out. 
They are that far gone on immigration and progressivism. So, this all ties together to me. Uh, Anything they don't want, they're going to fight, and they're going to have news news programs that talk like this. The Trump administration is apparently planning to divert resources from the Justice Department away from pursuing civil rights investigations to instead study alleged bias against whites instead of minorities in college admissions, a potential to reopen long-decided cases of affirmative action, which is alarming civil rights groups and academic institutions across the country. When you have an atmosphere where the Justice Department is saying to the country there's a problem of white students um, being harmed by affirmative action, I think it sends it sends a signal that I think there should be very vigorous pushback on. What about the fact that this takes money away from the pursuit of more pressing civil rights cases that are out there? We should all be greatly alarmed by what the Department of Justice is doing right now. This is what a 21st century assault on civil rights looks like. An assault on voters, uh, voter rights, uh, an assault on uh, police community relations, and now this latest attack on affirmative action. It is, is really stoking an us versus them narrative that is doing nothing but harm to our country. When you have someone like Steve Bannon, as a senior counselor to the President of the United States with his connections to the so-called alt-right but white, white supremacists. What's not surprising about this, about the story in the New York Times today is that this, fit, this is in line with that, that type of thinking. But when you, when you hear the President make some of the comments that he makes about immigrants during the course of the campaign, talking about deportation forces, and when you see Stephen Miller, a policy advisor to the President, talking about an English language preference for people coming into this country, it is a wink, it is a dog whistle to certain parts of this country that they are going to be looking at the, the racial and ethnic flow of immigrants coming into this country. I just think that's undeniable. And I so I just wanted to remind him, this is what the Statue of Liberty says. This is what our tradition has always been in this country. We bring in people from all walks of life. It's what it's what makes America great. It was already great because of immigrants in this country. Well, Wolf, I think at times this White House has an unhealthy fixation on what I call the three M's, the Mexicans, the Muslims, and the media. Uh, the, their policies tend to be crafted around bashing one of those three groups and we just see it time and again and today on immigration what the white house is is essentially saying in a wink and a dog whistle uh, to some of these battleground states that they won is that immigrants coming in from latin america are taking your jobs well if immigration is not the reason why the factory closed in pittsburgh or the coal mine uh, was shut down in west virginia uh, the people who are struggling in those states, they need policies that will help get them out of this uh, this mess that they've been in for a generation where a lot of communities have been left behind. I saw it firsthand out on the campaign trail following Donald Trump around trying to appeal to these workers, and, and he did wisely uh, target those workers, but he's, he's targeted them with, I, I think, a message that just runs counter to what we see as American tradition in this country. That's why I, I quoted the Statue of Liberty to Stephen Miller. It was odd to see the White House wolf uh, in the form of Stephen Miller, one of the top policy advisors, uh, sort of sound like a Statue of Liberty originalist, as if there's some difference between what the Statue of Liberty looked like uh, when it was first brought over here to the United States and, and, what, uh, and what it looks like now with a poem attached to it. 
I just thought that was an odd moment. It was just a poor argument. And whenever they're bashing the media wolf, my, my sense always is, is that they're just losing the argument. And I think you saw that today. Appreciate it with me now. Charles Blow, Jeffrey Lord, Anna Navarro, and Matthew uh, Whitaker. Charles, uh, you know, Stephen Miller said that this, this bill is really designed to, to actually help African-American workers, uh, Hispanic workers, unemployed workers of all backgrounds. Do you buy that? Well, I mean, that, that part is a problematic part for me. Just because, you know, they, they pitched Barack Obama as a racial divider. And in fact, what Trump has done again and again and again is to try to pit one minority group against the other. He told the uh, LGBT people that I'm going to keep you safe because we're going to keep the Muslims out. We're going to have a Muslim ban. He, he kept telling African Americans that I'm gonna, you're going to get more employment because I'm going to keep all the, the Hispanic immigrants out. That is really problematic for me because, in fact, what you should be saying is not necessarily that we're pitting one against the other, but we're create, we're kind of growing the pie rather than trying to kind of narrow narrow it and divide it. So that part of it is problematic. I do believe, you know, I, I'm a big a proponent of kind of highly skilled immigration to this country. I do believe for us to be competitive, we have to increase that. But what this bill, what this proposal does, does not increase it at all. It's just cutting down on the other parts of, of legal immigration. And there was no talk that I saw about increasing the pool of highly skilled people. So I, I, I want to see more people coming in because we're actually, we actually we need it, I mean, to be competitive in the world. Jeff, you know, it's interesting because the, the president gave an interview to The Economist in May uh, and he was asked, uh, do you want to curb legal immigration? He said, quote, oh, sure, you know, I want to stop illegal immigration. He was then asked, because uh, clearly he didn't understand, uh, what about legal immigration? Do you want to cut the number of immigrants? To which he replied, oh, legal? No, no, no. I want people to come to the country legally. No, legally? No. I want people to come in legally, but I want people to come in on merit. I want to go in a merit-based system. This certainly seems to be a merit-based system, right. but it does seem to be cutting the number of people coming in legally. Yeah, I, I think what this is doing, Anderson, is opening... A, a, an overdue debate on legal immigration. One of the things that I worry in listening to that conversation with Jim Acosta and Stephen Miller is that we've moved from a country where we're assimilating to a country that is, you know, almost the fulfillment of George Wallace's old thing about segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And that you get people that come in here and immediately decide to self-segregate and it's it's more tribalism than than folks that want. What do you base that on? I mean, where are you seeing that? Because actually, I mean, immigrants traditionally. Well, in the you United listen. States, you, well, you listen to Jorge Ramos. I mean, he makes it. I've seen, read. Well, right. I've read some of his stuff. I mean, and he he makes it abundantly plain. He wants a quote unquote, you know, Latino section of this country as opposed to an American section. I, 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 okay, I think what, that's what is, I, what is the definition? Of, I, I'm I'm always curious about this when people say assimilate. Assimilate to what is a, a set of beliefs? That, that, well, that's that's what, well, cult, that's a very interesting terminology, right? American culture, because there's a lot of different American cultures. So I'm always curious when people say assimilate. I, when you, if you want to assimilate to a set of beliefs and ideals, I understand that part of it, but when the pe when people say assimilate it always rings to me as if people are saying that you need to to abandon your ethnicity and become more like you know the kind of the white america that i'm envisioning and and so so just explain to me what it is because i I'm, I'm very confused by that always what's this white america it's america period it's yeah, colorblind, colorblind but but america. but you just said because so if, the, if someone Charles, if someone Charles, no let, let's just talk music for a second is is i want to talk i don't want is, to is motown, motown about just black music or is it about America? Well, let me just say this. I'm not, I'm not opposed to 
you know, the idea that people will enjoy their own cultures in America, and I think that actually That's makes wrong. America strong. So I'm trying to figure out if people want to enjoy a culture that, that, that is native to wherever they're from, and they bring that to America, that makes America more dynamic and diverse to me. So when people say, I need you to be, be willing to assimilate, the word assimilate is really problematic for me. I just don't know what it means. I, I want to bring in uh, Anna. Anna I mean, what do you make of this proposal and, and this discussion about assimilation? Look, I think this is yet one more wedge issue that's being fabricated by the Trump administration for the purpose of keeping his base happy. It is absolutely racist to award a point system. I'd like to award points to people that don't lie. I'd like to award points to people that don't wedge and pit Americans against each other. And, you know, I live in a community which is full of people who came here without speaking English, including myself including Mar uh, Marco Rubio's parents and grandparents, including people like Emilio and Gloria Stefan. This is a community that has been built by people that came here, many seeking political asylum, seeking refuge, seeking freedom, seeking a better opportunity for their children. They now own businesses. They own banks. They contribute. They are university presidents. They are brilliant doctors and surgeons in our hospitals. So this idea that you give a point system, that this White House will be giving a point system and getting, you know, not allowing folks in who don't speak English and giving them the opportunity to learn English is absolutely racist. And more than racist, it is un-American. It is not what we have done for 241 years. And it is unrealistic because I can think of at least three U.S. senators who have parents that didn't speak English. Two of them being Republican, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. I know that there is no way in the world this proposal will see the light of day in the U.S. Senate. It will not pass. Matt, it is nothing but another red herring by the Trump administration. Matt, you said the devil's in the details on this. Yeah, as someone that's enforced the immigration laws, I know how difficult uh, these choices are. And, and we elect our politicians and the folks in the House and the Senate and the President to make these difficult choices. There is no doubt in my mind, having enforced these laws both for illegal and legal, including things like infor and, uh, going after people that uh, commit marriage fraud, that, that these rules need to be updated, these laws need to be updated, and somebody has to make these choices as to who does or doesn't come in our country, and that's what we elect these folks to do. But I will agree with Anna in one regard, and that is that uh, immigrants, recent immigrants and long-term immigrants, have made this country great. Uh, we're going to continue this discussion. Uh, up next, what President Trump said today about this new immigration plan, and, and I'll get everyone's take on it. Their so you don't think present. there's any honorable motivation to no. saying we're not for, we're, we're no, against I thought police that brutality? Was over. You think that's only politically motivated? He wasn't advocating for police brutality. No, but he has to represent his constituency. I mean, he, it's just, I, I, that, that's, he, that's too cynical, it seems to me. In fact, one of, the problem with the, his remarks is we've come through a period of a couple of years where there's an epidemic of excessive police violence. I mean, that's we've right. been reckoning with that all across the country. Excessive police violence, targeted racism, all of these things. So that's the context. And a lot of cops got shot too, let's be honest. Yes, and absolutely. And, and a president can say, you know, I've seen all of that and, and I condemn all of that. But maybe we've gone too far in the opposite direction and we need to actually be a little more strict about this. That's the way to say it, as opposed to just saying, like, bang some heads and, and you know, have no restraint. I mean, that's the problem. The problem is the context. He doesn't have history. He's going back to some earlier mindset. I, I don't, I mean, I think we're not actually in that much disagreement about it. I don't it, either. So. Okay. All right.
there was a systematic racism that remains today in this country. And if we want to catch up after decades of people starting in a staggered way and not playing on a fair ground, you have to do this to allow diversity because it, it benefits everyone to have diverse communities. And you're talking about college campuses. The idea that they not only are doing this, but they're taking it from the civil rights division is like so disturbing to me. They're making a statement, aren't they? I mean, that's, well, it's like a double slap in the face. They're making, a, they're making a statement. What is happening is there seems to be a systematic mm -hmm. eroding of mm -hmm. civil rights that we in this country have been working for since World War II. Well, one thing that comes to mind is when we look at our representatives in the government right now, and we say when we look at that people that first addressed the health care, oh, this was a room full of white men. Until our representation is, is reflective of our population, yeah. yes. we haven't caught up yet. This country is based on systemic racism, starting with slavery and then Jim Crow. That has to be, that has to be addressed. Sweet Lord, I, I was I was just listening to that going. I th this is our media. That was a, you know basically what I just gave you was a primer of an entire week of media broadcast. Where that was it. It was either you, you can't look into hey, do we really need affirmative action anymore in our colleges because we have so many kids that don't get into college because they don't fit a nice demographic. We have an immigration problem that we're going to cover in one of our segments today that's just fucking out of control because states like California don't even let ICE do anything and it's migrated to Tennessee for fuck's sake. And you would think by that soundbite, which I, I labeled dog whistle because everything's a dog whistle to the left, you would think that the Trump administration got up in hoods and burned a cross on the White House lawn this week. That, that's exactly what happened to the media. And once again, I just say, how in the fuck can everything be racist? Everything. If everything's racist, nothing's racist. So, I had to hit that. I know it was lengthy, but it just all meshed together. If they weren't saying it was racist to look at immigration, it was racist to look at affirmative action. If it wasn't this, it was that. We got a spokesman who just defends the administration. He's a fucking Nazi, but he's a Jew. And that's just the craziest shit ever. Because that's why they're covering why they're not covering this. GOP representative House IT scandal among all-time congressional scandals of the last 30 years. This thing is huge. This motherfucker wired this Awan dude with W. Washington Schultz. He wired 300K to Pakistan. This is some serious shit. And the media hasn't covered any of it. Nor have they covered Seattle Mayor's Office manipulated a minimum wage study for political benefit. Seattle's mayor office coordinated with a Cal Berkey economist to manipulate a study on the effects of 15 minimum dollar wage for maximum political benefit, according to emails obtained by the Employment Policy Institute. A staffer for Democrat Mayor Ed Murray reached out to Cal Berkey Economics Department, asked them to rush the release of a study released in June that cast a positive light on Seattle's increased minimum wage ordinance. The Berkeley study finding contradicted those of then forthcoming University of Washington study, which found that Seattle's increased minimum wage cost low-skilled workers 179 per month and hurt employment numbers. 
Murray's office also explicitly asked Berkey economist Michael Reich to remove all mentions of the UW study so not to aid in its dissemination. Leave the critique of the UW study until later. The release still calls out UW study. Don't want your positive news to serve as a teaser for the UW study. The obtained email exchange reveals Reich was cooperative, tailoring the content of his study based on request by Murray's office. I changed the UW reference to be about the report from November 2016. Is that okay? You can put them in a paragraph rather than a bullet or take them out altogether. These emails are further proof that the Bursley team is motivated by ideology, not evidence. The contrast with the University of Washington team is not a flattering one. While Berkeley rushed its results to meet a political timeline, the UW team took its time to solicit scholarly feedback to refine its results. Remember, when this broke, the mayor's office kept on saying, oh, that's we have other numbers. And this goes in line with the liberal thinking. For climate change, cook the bucks. We, we've proven it. They, they keep adjusting the mean temperature. Each one, they just keep making it more dire, and there's no proof to back it. They adjust the 15, min- 15 minimum wage. They adjust everything. They take these numbers to fit a political ideology. And isn't that the exact opposite of what science is supposed to be? Science is about facts. I mean, last time I checked. And then the pro-life stuff. <clears throat> Cecil Richard went on a fucking huge Twitter rant. Women's health and rights are non-negotiable. Acts of safe legal abortion will hold any politician who says otherwise accountable. Training away women's health and rights will just alienate one of the most powerful political forces in the country. Women. Acts as a safe legal abortion is central to women's economic empowerment and bodily autonomy. Most of America agrees. Seven in ten Americans support Roe versus Wade. That's actually not true. We will never be able to move this country forward. We're leaving women behind. Blah, blah, blah. The future is female. This just went on and on. And, and the people on the far left, you know, if the imbeciles of DNC fund any anti-choice candidate, what should we do? You vote for the Democrat, but you do not fund the DNC. DNC men, start messing with my body, my right. I will yank any support I have for you. Don't fuck with women. We're the more powerful than you. When you tell a woman that she cannot control her own body, that's extremism. Somebody but Maloney said, except for the females you abort. Noelle D. Kendall, do females in the womb have rights? Kristen Gillibrand, still trying to run for president. We do not have to make compromises on protecting women's health to win back the Senate. Sun chick. When the body autonomy, when has the body autonomy been a negotiable issue for Democrats? Not in my lifetime. My money goes to NARAL until Dem Party makes a statement. New York Times rushed out articles. Of course abortion should be a litmus test for Democrats. To relate, to relate to the failing panic that is no doubt undergirding such a moral prusescent idea, fancy words, 19 hyenas and a broken vacuum cleaner control the White House and ice is becoming extinct. Oh, it is? 
I get it. I'm desperate and afraid as well. I'm prepared to make Leviathan compromises to pull us back from the brink. But there is not no recognizable version of the Democratic Party that does not fight unequivocally against half its constituents being stiffened of ownership of their own bodies alive. This issue represents everything Democrats purport to stand for. And that's true. All they care about is abortion. To legislatively oppose abortion is to be at best indifferent to the disenfranchisement, suffering, and possibly even the death of women. At worst, is reveal in is 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 to revel in those things to believe them fundamental to the natural order. Where exactly on the spectrum is Luan comfortable placing his party? It's true the left will have to choose and soon between absolute ideological purity and huge numbers required to seize the rudder of the nation and avert global catastrophe. But abortion is not a valid fodder for such compromise, nor is racism or LGBTQ equality, nor is any issue that puts people fundamental humanity up for debate. Abortion is not a fringe issue. Abortion is liberty. This article then goes to go on to tell everybody, go Fuck the DNC. It ends with there's never been a more opportune moment for the Democratic Party to demand compromise. Not from the left, but from the center. What are anti-choice Democrats going to do? Become Republicans now? Jump into the bator of clown meat whose top policy priority seems to be poor people deserve to die of preventable diseases? Come on, Democrats, be something. Unite and move left. The center will follow or lose. They are the party of abortion. That's what they are. Democrats stand for dead babies. 1,096,000 for Planned Parenthood 2016. I don't know how anybody who's a human being can even stand with that. One million. That's just one entity. It's a little over a third of all abortions done in our country. And that's 1,096,000. Unbelievable. On climate this week, Washington Post, 59,000 farmers' suicides in India over 30 years may be linked to climate change. <laughs> they try to run this shit... Cal Berkeley again compared almost five decades worth of suicide and climate data and conclude that temperature variations in India may have a strong influence on suicides. Yeah. Now climate change is making people kill themselves. James Kidwell, the study is BS based on a false premise. The right bros, liberal logic. Melting of polar ice caps didn't work. Let's try suicidal Indian farmers. That'll stick for sure. <laughs> How much more could you go, man? Now, and I just did a rant on it. So I want to do another rant on climate, but for fuck's sake, people are killing themselves because of climate change. You guys are out of control. 2016 election news. The agency produced 417 pages of documents in response to Judicial Watch FOIA. All records and our transcripts of the meeting held between Attorney General Loretta Lynch and former President Bill Clinton in 2016. All records of communication sent. Blah, blah, blah. And Judicial Watch got him. One email exchange shows that former Assistant Attorney General Peter Kadzik, Kadzik, 
was brought in to assist with public relations issue on 28 June 2016, the day after the tarmac meeting. Katzik is a longtime friend of Podesta and a Hillary Clinton donor who was criticized as being conflicted when he was assigned Justice Department to oversee the probe on Hillary Clinton and her aide, Uma Abedin. That was the guy that was doing the investigation. Okay, that makes sense. Director of Justice Department Public Affairs Office, Melanie Newman, sent an email to Richard Quinn, former National Security Assistant Special Agent, and Michael P. Cortan, who's currently the Assistant Director in Public Affairs for the FBI, advising him she wanted flag a story about a casual unscheduled meeting between former President Bill Clinton and AG to provide the AG talking points. Lynch met privately with former President Bill Clinton. The meeting occurred during the ongoing investigation. Lynch later admitted the meeting with Bill Clinton cast a cloud and she recused herself. It is a jaw-dropping that the Trump administration is blacking out key information about Obama Justice Department trying to spin Loretta Lynch's scandalous meeting with Bill Clinton said Judicial Watch President Tom Fenton. President Trump should order the full and immediate release of these materials. Something else is in there. That's why it's blacked out. Something big is in there. Newly released Uma Abedin emails prove she transmitted classified information over a non-secure account. It's another story that you didn't hear about this week. So... Nothing will happen. I mean, if Clinton can have a toilet server, her little left-hand woman can do whatever the fuck she wants to. Additionally, this week, HuffPo ran an article, The Mormons Could Have Saved Us. Whole article that the Mormons, the Church of Latter-day Saints, is the reason why Trump got elected. So we've gone through a lot of reasons now. None of them are Hillary Clinton's fault. But now it's the Mormons. The Mormons fucked up. Mormons were bad, I thought. In 2012, Mormons were fucking creeps. They were like Scientologists in the media. Matt Dowd citing, the only firings the Trump White House has not slowed down is North Korea's missile test. The entire world brought out data to show, you're so full of shit. From 09 to 2016, they did 74. And once again, the media, this is the media. The media is calling out Trump on stuff that was Obama's fault. And I said it was going to happen because it happened under Bush. It always happens. Now it's Trump's fault. That North Korea is a total fucking power in the world and we're probably going to have to bomb the fuck out of him. Yeah. But he blocked everybody. So I, I couldn't tweet that fuck. He's blocked me. A half of NBC, ABC has blocked me. And I've never cursed him or anything. I just tweet that that's certifiably false. Cheryl Atkinson, someone explain why Ezekiel Emanuel is treated as an expert on anything to do with healthcare after his legendary mistake work on Obamacare. This is part of the problem with news. Too often it's become state TV, talking points, propaganda, press releases, narratives. Just because you advance narratives, propaganda from two sides doesn't make it news. Just my opinion. Nothing more. Perhaps you disagree. And I don't, Cheryl Ackerson. I don't. And lastly on our loop, before we go into our segment one, because we don't do, for those that are new to the show... Free for all shows, don't have tweets a day, frickin' hate tweets and all that stuff. We just do a 
wrap-up of what we talked about. Dart passenger jumped beaten after asking group to stop smoking. So we still got problems out there. While they're worrying about seceding from the union and having illegal immigrants not be arrested and, and fucking with ICE, they still have issues on their subways. We, we reported about a whole a mob of people attacking that they wouldn't release the video because they don't want to be racist just because it happened to be 30 black kids. <clears throat> that would be racist to say it. You know, prep people from... 30 black kids running at you. You might want to get off the fucking train. That's all it's about. It's not about racism. So I just get the fuck off the train. They're still having people beat the fuck up by this mob. And nobody fucking cares. To segment one. Yes. I'm angry. Yes. I am outraged. Yes. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Cheeto dust. A man whose words are a diss track to America. Electoral college sanctioned hate speech contaminating this national anthem. I'm not as nasty as Confederate flags being tattooed across my city. Maybe the South actually is going to rise again, maybe for some, it never really fell. Blacks are still in shackles and graves just for being black. Slavery has been reinterpreted as the prison system in front of people who see melanin as animal skin. I am not as nasty as a swastika painted on a pride flag. And I didn't know devils could be resurrected, but I feel Hitler in these streets. A mustache traded for a toupee. Nazis renamed the cabinet electroconversion therapy, the new gas chamber shaming the gay out of America, turning rainbows into suicide notes. I am not as nasty as racism, fraud, conflict of interest, homophobia, sexual assault, transphobia, white supremacy, misogyny, ignorance, white privilege. Of course, that's the woman march. And if you think about it, blowing up the White House is one of the least radical things that was actually said on that whole day. But finally, the New York Times editor is taking a closer look at the women's march. John Sexton noted over Twitchy's sister site, Hot Air, the leaders of the women march actually took some heat in the pages of New York Times, courtesy of staff editor... Barry Weiss, who admitted, admits she was moved by the inaugural march. John Sexton, New York Times editor, takes on Women's March organizers when progressives embrace hate. This is kind of astounding considering the writer isn't a guest columnist, but a staff editor. And we've known for a while the leaders of the Women's March don't hold up well under scrutiny. Barry Weiss, a female, a minority female. Why are the leaders of the Women's March fawning over anti-Semites and cop killers? My latest, an opinion piece. Here is the article. 
When progressives embrace hate, and this was from August 1st. A mere half year ago, before collusion and Comey, before Mika's face and Muslim bans and the mooch, there was a shining moment where millions of Americans flooded the streets of cities across the country to register their rage that an unapologetic misogynist had just been made leader of the free world. <clears throat> I read that because that is like the new liberal litmus test. The litmus test used to be just abortion. Now it's all the things you can throw into one sentence. That's one long run-on sentence that pretty much just says Trump's the devil. Donald Trump's election was a watershed moment. Even those like me who have previously pulled levers for candidates of both parties felt that Mr. Trump had not only violated all sense of common decency, but alarmingly that he seemed to have no idea that there even existed such an unspoken code of civility and dignity. Now is the time to build a broad coalition to resist the genital grabber with nuclear codes. See, she got everything in there. Check the block. The Women's March moved me. Okay, so Madonna and Ashley Judd said some nutty things, but every movement has its excesses. I reasoned, Mr. Trump and campaign on attacking the weakest and most vulnerable in our society. Now is the time to put aside petty differences and secondary issues to oppose his presidency. That's certainly what the leaders of Democratic Party who applauded the march told us. Senator Schumer called the protest part of the grand American tradition. Pelosi offered her congratulations to the march, courageous organizers, and Gillibrand gushed about them in time where they were among the top 100 most influential people of 2017. The Women's March was the most inspirational transform moment I've ever witnessed in politics, she wrote, and it happened because of four extraordinary women, Tamika Mallory, Bob Bland, Carmen Perez, and Linda Sarsour, and the cur- had the courage to take on something big, important, and urgent, and never gave up. The image of this fearsome foursome echoed in more than a few flattering profiles was as seductive as Bennington had. There was Tamika Mallory, a young black activist who was crowned the Sojourner Truth of Our Time by Jet Magazine and a leader of Tomorrow by Valerie Jarrett. Carmen Perez, a Mexican-American and a veteran political organizer who was named one of Fortune 5 top 50 world leaders. Sarsour, a hijab-wearing Palestinian-American and former head of the Arab-American Association of New York and had been recognized as a champion of change by Obama. And Bob Bland, the fashion designer behind the Nasty Woman t-shirt, was the white mother who came up with the idea of the march in the first place. What wasn't to like? A lot, as it turns out. The leaders of the Women's March, arguably the most prominent feminists in the country, have some chilling ideas and associations. Far from erecting the big tent so many had hoped for, the movement they led had embraced decidedly illiberal causes and cultivated a radical tenor that seems determined to alienate all but the most woke. Start with Sausauer. By far most visible of the quartet of organizer, it turns out that this homegirl in a hijab, as one of many articles about her put it, have a history of disturbing views as advertised by Linda Sarsour. There are comments on her Twitter feed of anti-Zionist sort. Nothing is creepier than Zionism, she wrote in 2012. And oddly, given her status as a major feminist organizer, there are more than a few that seem to make common cause with anti-feminists, like this from 2015. You'll know when you're living under Sharia law if suddenly all your loans and credit cards become interest-free. Sound nice, doesn't it? 
She has dismissed the anti-Islamist feminist Ari Harara, and we've already said it about taking away her junk. Mrs. Sasar and her defenders have dismissed all of this as smear campaign motive coordinated by the far right and motivated by Islamophobia. Plus, they've argued many of these tweets were written five years ago. Ancient history. But just last month, Ms. Sasar proved that her past is a prologue. On July 16th, the official Twitter feed of the Women's March offered warm wishes to Asada Akshakur. <clears throat> um, like many others, CNN's Jake Tapper noticed the outrageous tweet. Shakur is a cop killer, fugitive in Cuba, he tweeted, going to the mentioned Miss Sasar trouble past statement. Any progressives out there condemning this? In the face of this sober criticism, Sasar cried bully. Jake Tapper joins the ranks of the alt-right. There's no doubt that Ms. Sasar is a regular target of far-right groups, but her experience of that onslaught is what makes her smear all the more troubling. Indeed, the idea that Jake Tapper is a member of the alt-right is kind of delirious, fact-free madness that fuels Donald Trump and his supporters. Troublingly, it is exact, exactly the sentiment echoed by the Women's March, our power, your power, scares the far right. They continue to try to divide us. Today's attack on a shot of secure are the latest example. Since when did criticizing a domestic terrorist become a signal issue of the far right? Last I checked, the position was a matter of basic decency and patriotism. What's more distressing is that Ms. Sasar is not only not the only leader of the women's movement who harbors such alarming ideas. Largely overlooked have been the similar outrageous statements of the March other organizer. Mallory, in addition to applauding Asada Shakur as a feminist emblem, also admires Fidel Castro, sheltered Miss Shakur in Cuba. She put her flurry of post when Mr. Cubo dast, Cubo, Mr. Castro died last year. Rest in peace, Comandante. Your legacy lives on, she wrote. She does not have similar respects for American police. When you throw a brick in a pile of hogs, the one that hollers is the one you hit, she posted on November 20th. Miss Perez also expressed her admiration for Black Panther convicts of trying to kill six police officers. Love learning from and sharing space with Baba Saku Odinga. But the public figure both women regularly fawn over is Louis Farrakhan. On May 11th, Miss Mallory posted a photo with her arm around Farrakhan, an 84-year-old Nation of Islam leader notorious for his anti-Semitic comments on Twitter. Thank God this man is still alive and doing well, she wrote. It is one of the several videos and photos and quotes that Miss Mallory has posted of Farrakhan. Perez is also a big fan. In the fall, she posted a photo with which she holds hands with Farrakhan, there are many times when I sit with elders or inspirational individuals where I think, I just wish I could package this and share this moment with others. She also promoted video of Ms. Farrakhan, Mr. Farrakhan dropping knowledge, another in which she says he is speaking truth to power. What is Mr. Farrakhan's truth? Readers born after 80 will probably have little idea since he has largely remained one of the headlines, headliners since the Million Man March he organized in 95. But his views, which his editorial page is called Twisted, remain as appalling as ever. And don't you forget, when it's God who puts you in the ovens, it's forever, he warns Jews in a speech in the National Islam Gathering 85. Five years later, the Jews, a small handful, control the movement moment of this great nation. <clears throat> like a radar controls the movement of a great ship in the waters. 
or this metaphor for you have wrapped your tentacles around the U.S. government and you are deceiving and sending the nation to hell, he called Hitler a very great man on national television. Judaism, he insists, is gutter religion. In one of the several widely available YouTube videos he's made about the Jews, he told black Americans that the control of the synagogues of Satan over our people must be exposed. These satanic ones have not only controlled hip-hop, but they control, according to their own words, the very messages that are brought to the public. He goes on to offer a truly remarkable analysis of the hip-hop industry in which intelligent rappers are rejected by satanic minds who insist that they want filth and encourage vulgarity and savagery. This is just the first ten minutes of an hour. Mr. Farrakhan is also an unapologetic racist. He insists that whites are the race of devils and that white people deserve to die. Feminists will find little to cheer in the 1950s view of gender. Your professional lives can't satisfy your soul like a good loving man. Recently he told Jay-Z that he should make Beyonce put on some clothes. He also opposes gay marriage. If that wasn't enough of a rap sheet, Mr. Farrakhan also loves Scientology and believes 9-11 was a false flag. I can already hear the pushback. What's a few impolite, impolitic tweets and photos compared to the horror show of this administration? Save your outrage for the transgender ban in the military, for the lies that spew forth daily from the press briefing room, for the cuts to Planned Parenthood and the shady business with Russia, and, 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 and. But the nightmare Trump administration is a proof text for why all of this matters. We just saw what happened to be legitimate political parties when they fall prey to movements that are at base anti-American. That is true of the populist, racist alt-right that helped deliver Mr. Trump the White House and are now hollowing out the Republican Party. Oh, really? And it can be true of progressives, the resistance, regardless of how chic, Instagrammable, and celebrity-laden the movement may be, Recall that only a few months ago, Keith Ellison, a man with a long history defending and working with anti-Semites, was also made leader of the Democratic Party. Will progressives have more spine than conservatives in policing hate in their ranks? Will they ignore it in the fury over Trump administration? I am sure that Linda Sarsour and perhaps the other leaders of the Women's March will block me for writing this. Maybe I'll be accused of siding with the alt-right or tarred as Islamophobic. But what I stand against is embracing terrorists, detaining independent feminist voices, hating on democracies and celebrating dictatorships. And that puts me beyond the pale of the progressive feminist movement in America right now. So be it. That's from the New York Times. Not Breibart. Not Daily Caller. The Widow McKay, anti-American, pro-Sharia, sexist, racist, pro-criminal, pro-violence, demeaning to babies, pregnancy, immoral and angry. Miriam, a woman, finally someone has called out the extreme left. Bluegrass, finally you point this out, what took you so long? Amanda Hartman, I'm surprised the New York Times actually posted this. Oh my God, I'm actually stunned the New York Times reported this. I'm stunned. Naomi Shami. Thank you for this important article. We need to stop, stop, stomp, is what she meant to say, but she said stop, out anti-Semitism no matter where it is. They don't speak for many of us regardless of their organization skills. Some of their positions are indefensible, a woman said. 
But what was more found on Twitter came this. Please read my New York Times response to the divisive attacks on the Women's March. You may not agree with one of us or any of us, and that's okay, she writes, but together we're weaving the social fabric so needed to protect us against the Trump agenda. Her article continues, as a cis heterosexual white woman new to feminist activism, I found that there were times in planning the January March that were uncomfortable. We're a movement grounded in love for all people, but especially for the vulnerable, the oppressed, and the marginalized. For now, critics like Miss Weiss are just critics from their seats until they get up, listen, and do the work to understand those whose feelings have been shaped by injustices. They will remain apologists for status quo, racist ideology, and the white national patriarchy. Barbara Weiss, the alleged white nationalist apologist who wrote the original piece, noted that Bland didn't address the many specific instances. Barry Weiss tweeted the following. Happy Bob Land designed, that's his Twitter feed, responded to my op-ed, but nothing in the letter grapples with the substance. Josh Keefe couldn't have more ideological response to a valid critique than this proves the point. She made David French. It's reprehensible. She can't defend the march embracing a cop killer and a terrorist. And so she calls you an apologist for white nationalism. Seth Mandel. She smears Barry as an alt-right water carrier as Saucer does to the Jews who crit- criticize her. These are some truly despicable peeper, people. <clears throat> the fact of the matter and why I cover it again Show me the white nationalist platform that the administration is supposedly going on. Show me the linkage between anybody on the Trump campaign and murderers, cop killers. Show me where on the Trump campaign there's anti-Semitism. Show me in that camp where anybody's linked to terrorists. And that's been my point since the beginning. There are so many things to criticize Trump on. So many blunders. So many stupid tweets. So much unorganized, grabastic bullshit that's going in the White House. But what the left keeps forgetting, and the media keeps forgetting is that the American people see you every day straw man craziness with Jim Acosta making everything about race because they're going to look at, we have to curtail immigration. We have to fix immigration. We're broke. Everybody knows it. Nobody wants to touch it because it's third rail right now. And you make shit up. You take everything and make it a dog whistle. And the American people are just sitting there going, well, that's not, okay, that doesn't hit home. And yes, sheep, sheep that don't pay attention, or a lot of people will go into surveys and they're going to say that Trump's the devil and he's going to say everything. Because let's be honest, there's a whole cottage industry that has moved the freaking political dogma of the left and, and you have to do a litmus test on everything. I do it on the show about abortion. I'm not a racist. I don't care. But... 
to put your point out because you're so scared. So polls, once again, are always leaned. Because who wants to tell somebody, yeah, I agree, we shouldn't have everybody come in this country. You don't want to say that. You look like a fucking xenophobe. But when they vote on things in that nice little four-walled booth where you don't get pressured by the thought police, almost every one of these policies they're talking about aren't what the media tells us American people think. I mean, think about it. 37 fucking states. 37 states literally ban gay marriage. Majority. California was one of them. The 13 states that didn't had them overturned by the courts. Not the people. The people, no people ever voted for gay marriage. No people ever voted for everybody to be just here. Nobody voted for one of our segments today to allow all illegal immigrants to have a fucking driver's license. Nobody voted for that. Democrats just did it by fiat. Just by fiat. And the most damning thing about this whole women's march, the media simulcast it and shoved it down your neck as democracy, as freedom, as First Amendment right to speech. They never researched any of these people. It's not a smear campaign when it's factual. And this Barbara Weiss will probably, Barry Weiss will probably lose their job. They'll be done. Because the Times has a, has a liberal bent. But the Women's March was about abortion. The right to kill a baby. That's all they care about. And rarely, if any time, the media will report actual statistics about abortion. You didn't hear that Planned Parenthood killed 328,000 fucking kids last year. Nor did you hear that they handed out 776,000 abortion pills. You never heard that. Those numbers are there. And I make this analogy because it's the same thing about the Women's March. Most American people don't know Saucer is a fucking terrorist. They don't even know who Shada Shakur is. They don't know that all these people that did this are fucking anti-American piece of shits. They hate America. You just don't see it. They don't want to do it. I mean, I had an article lumped in here. Blake Lively, dire warning about child porn. Some babies have umbilical cords. She was talking about pornography, and then she literally said, and this is a, a, a current one that, you know, and we got a problem with fucking abortion in our country. That won't make the paper. They, they won't bring it in. Because all you hear, as we segue out of this segment... Planned Parenthood Women's March propaganda. And here's one from Univision. They're trying to end women's access to health care across the board. So you think they are 
The problem is that they're linking Planned Parenthood with abortions. Is that is that the problem all it's the not, time? I don't think it's only abortions because obviously we provide abortion services and we think that's important, but that's a small part of what we do. Federal funding doesn't go for abortion. It hasn't for many, many years. Uh, but, but constantly they're saying that. I mean, it's abortion. Well, they're saying that, but, I don't, but I'm just saying it's not true. According to Planned Parenthood, abortion accounted for just 3% of its services in 2015. Yesterday, people got kicked out because they were spreading hate speech and they were trying to scare people. There are I, people. I didn't see anyone spreading. Hate they, they were. Be- I think I got kicked out. Who was drinking milk? What did he say? That's hate Anti- speech. Anti veganism. You know that's hate speech. What? Anti veganism. You know that's hate speech. What was hate speech? That, what did he say? That's part of. That's part of. That's part of hate speech. And I'm not even going to sit here and explain that. What? Anti veganism. No, you know what that is. That, what did he say? That you know what that milk. That's a. Uh, that's a symbol that represents milk is hate a symbol speech. of something. Yes, towards black people. What yes. is the milk? What is the symbol of? I've never heard that in my life. Truthfully speaking, I've never heard that. You in my never life. heard of it? Not you being honest? Yes. I don't know what milk. Basically, milk is and that's another thing they were doing with Saturday. Yeah, no, no, no. That's another thing they were doing on Saturday. There's all these subliminal racist type of things they do. For example, drinking the milk. Right? They try to say that, um, like. Black people are lactose intolerant, so they come and they try to drink milk, like just purposely drink milk outside very obnoxiously. So, like, I, I personally met that. Point. Met, I don't know if there was multiple people drinking milk. There was but multiple I've met, people drinking. But milk. I know the person. There was the guy, the tall guy with the beard. He drinks milk speech. because he used to be unhealthy, and he drinks milk to stay. He that, come on, yeah, come on. No, dude. I spoke I to him. I, I spoke to him personally. I, I heard, come on, I dude. No, come he on, has dude. bone problems. I'm not even kidding. You can look him up on, online dude, when you talk about it. But anyway, that's besides the point. It's racist! Okay, that is a soundbite I made months ago when I first heard stupid like shit like this off of YouTube. And I play this to lead into a segment that just... I shouldn't be surprised anymore. I get surprised about things, and I don't know why I get surprised about things. Because I should just expect it. Jeff B slash DDHQ, which we cover a lot of his tweets. It's 2017, and this is now the sort of MSM-approved take. We are given about a solar eclipse. The solar eclipse path will overwhelmingly pass over Trump country. This is from the Boston Globe. Is the eclipse throwing shade at Clinton supporters? The path of ideal viewing spots for this month's highly anticipated total solar eclipse cuts overwhelmingly through places that voted for President Trump in in November. There are about 240 counties roughly along the central path of eclipse, a 70-mile-wide trail extending across the country where people will be able to see a total eclipse. And about 92% of those counties swung in Trump's favor, while fewer than two dozens voted for Hillary Clinton. This is an actual article. I'm, I'm not making this up. Trump won many of those counties by a wide margin, securing an average of 71% of the vote in counties he won along the path. Clinton, by comparison, got only about 56% of the vote on the eclipse path. And of those more than 6.2 million votes cast in those counties, for one of those two candidates, 59% for Trump, 41 for Clinton. This stands in stark contrast to the overall results of the election, where about 51% of the votes cast for either candidate was for Clinton. Even Clinton voted for Trump. Clinton, Missouri, that is. The county lies right along the heart of the total eclipse path, and 69% of the votes were cast 
for Trump. The eclipse on August 21st will be visible to people across the United States, but in most areas, the view will be only partial. People will only be able to see a total eclipse if they locate along the path of totality, which will start near Lincoln City, Oregon, and end in Charleston, South Kakalaki. Still, it's not entirely surprising that the eclipse path of the best perspective could slice through the entire country while mostly avoiding areas that back Clinton. While she won the popular vote, Trump won the Electoral College and about 84% of the country's 31 plus, 3100 plus counties. Clinton won more voters overall because she captured densely populated urban areas like Los Angeles, New York, and Boston. Trump, by contrast, won many rural areas with small populations. Perhaps it's not surprising the solar eclipse is passing over Trump strongholds given the president himself was born during a lunar eclipse. On June 14, 1946, the day Trump was born, there was a total lunar eclipse, though it wasn't visible from the United States, NASA records. Instead, it could be seen from parts of South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. The highlighted counties show roughly the path along which people will be able to view the August 25th solar eclipse in totality. Counties shaded red from Trump for Trump, those in blue voted for Clinton. And they have politics overlaid over a fucking solar eclipse. I am just astounded that the media ran this article. I I want you to think if a conservative paper, which there isn't any, but if there was, say that was the Oklahoma City Tribune, totally slanted conservative, not just feeding stories from USA Today, ran an article that even the universe favors Trump. You would hear this at nauseum as a sign that journalism has gone amok. This article was carried in the globe, but fed all over the place. And people were seriously tweeting online stuff like, I hope they don't wear glasses and get blinded by it. I don't know whether to take the angle that this is a sign that journalism is just dead in our country. Or take the angle that this is the end of days. We are living the end of days with people so partisan that a solar eclipse is now politics. Or I could take the third track that I whine about on this show all the time. Why is everything politics for the left? Why the fuck do they ruin everything? They ruin Thanksgiving. They ruin Christmas. Now you're ruining a fucking solar eclipse is political to you. A solar eclipse. For the record, moon bats, the fucking moon, sun, earth alignment doesn't give a fuck if there's an R behind the moon or a D behind the sun. None of that. None of that matters. It's just how the universe spins. 
And I even read tweets where they were like, that's not fair. Those people don't even understand the universe. They're uneducated. Why do they get to see the solar eclipse? Why not us? And I just had to cover it as a time that it goes back to my closing of every damn show. Fucking get a life. Hit pause. Do something. I would say go fucking watch porn or something on the internet other than your political sites. But I'm sure to that, there's objectification of women. There is demeaning of African American men because they have large penises and they're using them as circus clowns. There's probably, you know what, that's a great idea for a podcast. I'm going to go search the the politicization of fucking porn. Somebody's done it out there on HuffPo, Dem Underground, somewhere there's an article about how porn is biased. It's there. I'll have it for you next next podcast. Do a music break. Segment three. We're going to cover, once again, illegal driving. Folks, I, I'm not going to hammer it like I've done it before. I understand. But with this California article that I'm going to read, Sweet Jesus, this political gambit the left's doing, it's going to bite them in the ass.
I the meanest? Sure enough. Am I the prettiest? Sure enough. Am I the baddest mofo low down around this town? Sure enough. But who am I? Sure enough. Who am I? Sure enough. I can't hear you. Sure enough. Tony Reed of Woodlawn. Okay, we're, we're going to tread over ground we've done, but it started with an article, Most Still Opposed Driver's License for Those Here Illegally. August 1st was the article. California, one of, one of 12 U.S. states that allows illegal immigrants to obtain driver's license, is on track to issue nearly a million such licenses by the end of the year. But most voters continue to oppose license for illegal in the states they live. A new Rasmussen reports national telephone and online survey finds that just 28% of likely U.S. voters think illegal immigrants should be eligible for driver's license in their states. And although that's up from 22% in 2013 and is the highest level of support measured since this survey started in 2007, since 61%, however, continue to oppose giving illegal immigrants driver's license where they live. 11% remain undecided, which I don't know how you don't have an opinion on this. This was 1,000 likely voters with a plus or minus 3% and a 95% level of confidence. Considering, and excuse the sound in the background, it's Sunday, I'm redoing this, the wife is getting her steam clean on, thus she did the old wife thing. Hey, uh, did you want a podcast? Why don't you go podcast? Which is uh, wife speak for get the fuck out of my way, I'm busy. And so I'm in the back room. So you're going to hear a little vacuum going on, and that is the steam cleaner getting its magic going. Um, you know... Sorry, I had to take a drink. Um, One of the jokes I made on the last podcast, and a lot of people don't get it, was how all these weirdos that watch Game of Thrones literally want huskies now. But this is part of the process. Every two weeks, we steam clean the carpet. You don't have a choice. You'll vacuum twice a day, but you're going to have to steam clean, too, to get up all the hair. You're just going to have to. It is like living in a sto- snow globe, but the snow is fucking hair, and it's my fault because I, I didn't want outside dogs. Um, we had outside dogs, and I think that's just a miserable fucking existence for the animal, so we brought them in. So anyway, excuse the vacuum. It'll just sound like I'm behind a jet or something. I'm flying. There it is. Well, pretend I'm flying right now. I'm on an aircraft doing my podcast, which is something I thought about a lot my previous job. I just never pulled it off. Um, and I should have. It would have been interesting. You know, I could have called the, the segment at 37,000 feet with Tony Reed. That would have worked. Anyway, so <clears throat> this, this is so huge. And for those that are new to the show, once again, my son was T-boned. Brand new car, owned it for two hours. It was totaled by an illegal immigrant. And the only thing that saved him is that the the insurance company for the illegal immigrant, went with the lie, which was the dad wasn't driving, it was the daughter, who isn't insured, who does have a driver's license, who's an American citizen, because she was born here. Or else he would have been out a lot of money. He would have been fucked, because he only owned it for two hours. And that's Nashville. The statistics are just incredible. 
on this. Uh, drunk driving, everything. We're going to cover just a little bit. I'm not going to make this a long statement because if you want this information, you can go back to podcast. I did an entire show on it because it's just scary. And the only reason why I knew is because it happened to me. It happened to one of my family members and I went out and searched and the data is unequivocally horrible for drunk driving, accidents, no insurance, the cost that this costs is a, is a bunch. But California are states that, you know, they just don't give a fuck. They're so liberal, they think this is the right thing to do, and it's not. Granted, they're going to drive illegal. Sure, that's the theory they, they come up with. Well, they're going to drive illegal anyway. You might as well give them a license and we can track them. But, but there's problems with this. You check one block, they can vote. They can vote. And I guarantee, and this isn't a Trumpism, I guarantee there's illegals that are authorized to vote in California. They checked the block. Nobody checked it. You know, it's just clerical error. It's not, it's not intentional. But illegal immigrants should not be able to vote. They're not even fucking citizens. They shouldn't be here to begin with because their country of origin would put us in jail. But they're here, and now we're giving them freebies with WIC, food stamps. That's happening all over the place in liberal cities. They, they get it. Don't, don't listen to the lies. They get it. We're giving them driver's license. They're working under the table, not paying Social Security. And now we're giving them, we're giving them driver's license. Let them drive on our streets with the possibility of being able to vote. So a dad... Dad's grief leads to quest to count deaths caused by illegal immigrants. In the five years since an unlicensed illegal immigrant ran down his son, Don Rosenberg has turned his anger and grief into a mission to answer a seemingly simple question. How many people are killed each year by drivers who don't belong in the U.S., much less behind the wheel? Drew Rosenberg, a 25-year-old student at Golden State University, was riding his motorcycle on San Francisco when Roberto Galo struck him on November 16, 2010. In his frenzy effort to flee the scene, Galo ran over his victim twice. The elder Rosenberg got the news no parent should hear from San Francisco General Hospital that night that his child had died. But what he would learn over the next few years only compounded his bitterness. As many as 7,500 Americans, 20 per day, are killed annually by unlicensed drivers. And Rosenberg calculation that more than half are the victims of illegal immigrants. Now by testifying before lawmakers, speaking to parents who have been through the same ordeal and posting his research on a nonprofit website, unlicensedtodrive.org, Rosenberg is shedding light on a frightening number not readily available from government sources. Our archives are filled with stories of drunk driver driving illegals killing U.S. citizens, William Gein, American for Legal Immigration, said. I was stunned at what I found. Rosenberg, who at 63 is semi-retired from the entertainment and publishing industry. Not only were unlicensed drivers killing people in numbers only exceeded by drunk drivers, but many times they were barely being punished and many times faced no charges at all. Galo, a Honduran who entered the country illegally but earned temporary protection status, had been cited five months earlier for driving without a license or insurance and heading the wrong way on a one-way street in San Francisco. His car was impounded for a day. He paid a fine for the moving violation 
and other charges were dropped. After he was convicted of manslaughter, slaughter, Galo served six weeks in jail and was released. He was deported in 2013 after a year-long legal battle. Because state and federal highway safety officials do not classify deaths by the perpetrator, immigration stats tabulating the de- deadly toll of unlicensed illegal immigrants has been a painstaking effort. Rosenberg has poured through spreadsheets and studies, piecing together his numbers that show his son's death was neither necessary nor unique. Still, his, his estimate is just that, and it varies from the guesses of other groups. I've learned over time that many jurisdictions do not cite license status or immigration status when reporting these statistics, so if anything, the numbers are understated. For example, San Francisco doesn't report either criteria, so Drew's death default to have been killed by a licensed driver who is a citizen. Such imprecise government bookkeeping masks a frightening and, and critics say, preventable danger. The AA, the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, which obtains state-by-state data for the Federal Government Fatality Analysis Reporting System, FARS, database, found that 20% of fatal crashes involve an unlicensed driver. From 2010 to 2014, there was an average of 32,887 road deaths per year, which would mean 6,500 were caused by unlicensed drivers. Those drivers include citizens with suspended or revoked license and those who never had licenses. But if half were illegal immigrants, it would be in line with Rosenberg's estimates. And they go into other people who lost theirs. With at least 11.4 million unauthorized immigrants in the United States, it can be surmised that a large population drive a vehicle on a regular basis. And they're illegal. They don't have the right to drive. Because once again, unlike what the left says, driving is not a right. Not a constitutional right. Neither is marriage. But with the left, they believe that was a constitutional right under the 14th Amendment that gays and lesbians could get married. And that's how they pushed it. So that's how they're pushing this. So overall, in 2011, the Department of Homeland Security reported the deportation of 35,927 illegal immigrants convicted of driving under the influence. Stephen King asserts that, a representative from Iowa, asserts that illegal alien drunk drivers kill over 4,700 Americans a year. 13 U.S. citizens die every 24 hours. Another study published by the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration cited motor vehicle deaths as a single leading cause of deaths for Hispanics between the age of 1 and 44. And according to analysts by the New York Times, about 4.5 million illegal aliens in the U.S. drive on a regular basis, many without license, Many, many without insurance or even the ability to read road signs in English. The statistics keep adding up to paint a complete and consistent picture. The Federal Bureau of Investigation and Department of Homeland Security report 47% of sighted or stopped drivers in California have no license, no insurance, and no registration for the vehicle. Of that, 92% are illegal aliens. 
62% incited and or stop drivers in Arizona have no license, insurance, or registration. 97% are illegal. 66% of cited and or stop drivers in New Mexico have no license, no insurance, and no registration. And of that, 98% are illegal. 98. 98%. Impact on public safety. To obtain a license, drivers must pass knowledge and road tests sanctioned by their state, ensuring that they have the threshold understanding of the rules. Evidence from a 2012 study conducted by the California Department of Motor Vehicle suggested that drivers without valid license were nearly three times more likely to cause a fatal accident then were licensed drivers over the over the 23-year period studied. Unlicensed drivers in that state were even found to be more hazardous than drivers whose licenses were suspended or revoked. A 2011 study by the AAA Foundation of Traffic Safety showed similar results. 5% of fatal crashes between 2007 and 2009 were caused by unlicensed drivers, a proportion that increased from 1990 through 2007, although the trend appeared to have ended or even reversed. The 2011 Journal of Insurance Regulation study found that an increase in uninsured motorists led to more crash fatalities. Given these in- initial findings, more data is needed on the correlation among driver license issuance, purchasing of insurance, and accident rates. All the data, when you break it down from North Carolina, here's one for Oregon. In 08, Oregon passed the law requiring licensed applicants to demonstrate legal presence. A study by the Oregon Department of Transportation estimated the economic impact of immigrants losing licenses they already had. The research anticipated that the unauthorized labor force would shrink, resulting in a reduction of state gross domestic product between 134 million and 201 million, or about 0.01%. Through interviews with Oregon residents, the research heard that fear and uncertainty caused by the law were affecting individual habits and routines. Furthermore, unauthorized immigrants reported reducing their consumption when they needed to present official identification, such as a driver's license, to make a purchase, or when they had to rely on public transportation to travel with the purchases. So that's why Oregon thinks it's a bad idea. We need the money. We need the money. 2011, 23% had committed criminal traffic offenses, primarily driving under the influence. Congressman Steve King from Iowa estimates that illegal alien drunk drivers kill 13 Americans per day. That's just insane. The overall perspective of criminal behavior of illegal aliens is grim. In a 2007 GAO study of 55,322 illegal aliens, analysts discovered that there were arrested at least a total of 459 614, 459,614 times. 70% had been 2 and 10 arrests. 26% had about 15,000 and 11 or more arrests. Drug or immigration offenses accounted for 45% of all offenses and approximately 12%, over 6,600, were arrested for violent offenses such as murder, robbery, assault, and sex-related crimes. 
75% of those on the most wanted criminal list that live in Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Albuquerque. One quarter of all inmates in California detention centers are Mexicans, as are more than 40% of Arizona, 48% New Mexico jails. Over 53% of all investigated burglaries reported in California, New Mexico, Nevada, and Arizona, and Texas are by illegal aliens. 63% of cited drivers in Arizona have no license, no insurance, no registration. 97, we just read that. It's the same one. A year after Baltimore mayor signed an order officially converting the city into a sanctuary for illegal immigrants, federal authorities arrested an undocumented Ecuadorian national wanted for the brutal rape of a nine-year-old. Carlos Martila Montano, a Bolivian national who killed a Virginia nun in a drunken driving accident, was on a new federal government supervised release program allowing the illegal alien who committed a series of crimes to remain on the streets despite being subject to deportation. Rather than detaining Montano, authorities determined that he was a candidate for the Alternatives to Detention Program, which supposedly monitored his whereabouts. Guatemalan illegal alien Juan Sun killed California Sheriff Dispatcher Dominic Durden in 2008. Sun was charged with two felonies. He pled guilty to one felony and the other was dropped. Sun was given three years probation but should have been deported. A year later, he was caught driving drunk. Three more years probation, but again, no deportation. Another year later, Sun was caught driving drunk a second time. He was released two months later. He drove into Durden and instantly killed him. Finally, ICE deported him. And I could go on and on. I could read you all. I got pages of this shit. Pages. But for some reason, the left doesn't care. They just don't care. Senator Wyden from Oregon, Ron Wyden, on Tuesday blew off wanting to talk about an elderly constituent in his state who was raped by an illegal immigrant that was previously deported 20 times. She was 65 years old and he assaulted somebody else. And the answer from Wyden was, we all have more to say about that another time. Today it's about taxes. Times Square. Naked illegal alien panhandlers turning Times Squares into shocking anti-family zone. A word of caution for folks planning a family-friendly vacation by New York City. We've been overrun by a horde of naked street performers. The New York Post reports topless females and filthy costume characters have turned Times Square to a haven for seedy shakedown artists. The bare-naked broads are lewd and crude, harassing unsuspecting tourists. I told you, if you don't have a tip, then fuck off, one woman told a New York Post reporter. The costume characters are even worse, cursing at, pass- at, cursing at passerbys, grabbing grandmas, and demanding cash for photos. Cash for photos. That is what sanctuary cities are like. That's what they're like. So if we take out the facts and we don't talk about crime, we don't talk about drugs, we don't talk about New York, you know, Times Square having panhandlers who are all illegal, naked on the street, and somehow they just let that go. Let's just stick to the subject. Why... Well, 
let's just word it this way. Justify why we would give somebody who's illegal identification in our country. Justify why we would give a driver's license to people who aren't supposed to be here, who illegally entered the country. We don't know anything about them. This kind of plays along with the, the travel ban. You don't know anything about these people. They're fleeing their country during a time that we're not super pop prosperous. I mean, there's not a lot of jobs here. So it isn't like we're the boom American dream. We're going to Ellis Island because there's a potato famine in fucking Ireland. And you allow them to drive a car. They don't read English. They don't speak English. So they can't read the signs. Nothing's in kilometers here. Nine times out of ten, they don't have insurance. Justify why that makes sense. If it isn't all about politics and the vote. And let's look at the 2016-2012 time periods. Decisions made by the Obama administration. Transgender ban. DACA. If it wasn't about getting those people to vote or wanting them to vote, why would you do it? Because financially it makes no sense. The burden financially from just this one issue, undocumented immigrants or whatever the new PC thing is, because I, I just call them illegal aliens, driving and plowing into Americans when they're uninsured. Take the deaths out. We won't even talk about the 5,000 people killed a year. We'll just talk about the car trashed. Distill it down. And now an American citizen has to pay for their damaged car. They could be a poor person who doesn't have a lot of money. And one such incident ruins them. Now they can't get to work. They lose their job. Why do you think that's okay? If it's just not merely about getting people to vote for you. Somebody give me a justification for this. Because I don't understand it. I I am not anti-immigrant. I immigrated here. My family did. I'm all about it. Legally... Coming through, getting your green card, applying for citizenship, paying taxes, paying Social Security. By the time we're done, Democrats are going to say these people deserve Social Security even though they didn't pay anything in. Because they got all their money under the table. Democrats help approve I-9 Verify. Yet we have sanctuary cities where they don't even do it. And they're employing illegal immigrants. And they're allowing it. And boomerang that onto let one Republican do something like this. And the media would be doing datelines about it. The impact, the financial impact of this. They just did it. How if he deported 11 million immigrants, our country would cease to operate. We would have no more fruit was actually something I saw on the TV. Guest services would stop. 
But you are allowing people who aren't even supposed to be here to have a driver's license and drive on our roads, a formal form of identification. And I tell you, I think it's just to get around the laws. We get them identification. Now they technically are citizens because they're holding it. They have a government ID. And when I, five years ago, went to get my driver's license that I already had with Tennessee, I had to bring my birth certificate, my passport, blood sample, a note from my mother, mail, and my old ID, and my military ID. And that birth certificate had to have a fucking stamp on it. It it had to have that stamp. They couldn't feel the stamp. I couldn't get my driver's license. I had to prove I was a citizen. So I, an American citizen, have to go through all this just to get mine. And you're just handing them out to anybody that shows up. Regardless of the laws, regardless of insurance, regardless of their ability to read English. And regardless of the fact that they're costing American citizens millions of dollars when they trash their fucking cars into their cars. And I just, I am just astounded how, how it's only 61% of the people against it. And I think it's because of lack of of knowledge it's ignorance the media only pushes one narrative on this those poor people need to be just like you they got to live and they're doing jobs you don't want to do anyway and the fact is everything i just read is factual i didn't make those numbers up those are from government entities but somehow some way i'm a xenophobe Because I say, hey, you should be here legally. Like friends I have. People I served in war zones did. Legally immigrate to America. Get their driver's license. Pay their insurance. Because that's the law. And it's a righteous law. Because if you've ever been in an accident, which I have with people that aren't insured, it's tough. You're paying for it. Your rates are going to go up. You're going to pay for that in the long run. And it's not even your fault. So I had to cover it again. That's just a shocking statistic. Because if you're on the coasts, or like me now, with Nashville wanting to be a sanctuary city... This is coming to you. I will guarantee if Barry gets reelected, I'll be doing a segment on the show about Tennessee immigrants, illegal aliens getting driver's license. And that is bullshit. To a music break, news, social media, nuggets!
It's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
All right, military corner without a bumper today. Two U.S. soldiers injured in Black Hawk crash in Afghanistan. Two U.S. military personnel suffered minor injuries after the HH-60 Black Hawk helicopter crash in Afghanistan on the morning of August 1st. Operation Resolute Support said in a statement it suffered a mechanical issue. And I never saw this on the media. Uh, they didn't say how bad they were. They just said that it was... Um, Injured, which, you know, once again, <clears throat> I really was banking that once Trump got in office, we'd start covering the wars again like they did with Bush, but they haven't yet. The Navy sailor has apparently fallen overboard and is missing in the South China, Ch- China Sea. Another one. This is one's from August 1st. Said he fell on June 6th. That is just incredibly scary. All right. And Tass and Purpose put out this interesting stat. The United States has spent $714 billion on the Afghanistan war, and they wrote it a losing war, which really surprised me that veterans would write that, but okay. That's according to the latest quarterly report for the Special Inspector General of Afghanistan Reconstruction. It's 36th on the subject in more than 15 years since the U.S. military invaded Afghanistan. An estimated 86% or $675 billion was doled out by the Department of Defense, a particular alarming figure given that Secretary of Defense James Mattis declared on June 13th that the armed forces are not winning in Afghanistan right now. And we're not because we don't have a fucking plan. But it's a lot of money. Um, really surprised. Sometimes tax and purpose brings in people. I got to think they're not vets. Or if they are, they were some fucking Navy fuck because they do pointedly liberal articles and i grabbed that one just to be fair i guess okay to the crazy killjoy new jersey cops interrupt naked man's interstate pleasure session this is a real article a new man walking along an interstate in new jersey was using a sex toy on himself when his public pleasure session was interrupted by police yesterday Officers responding to a report of a naked man walking along tree line on Route 287 discovered Stephen Kerwakai, 39, in the altogether near in the altogether near marker, marker 64 in Mawaha, a Bergen County township about 30 miles north of New York City. When Kerwakai, or whatever the frick his name is, who lives in upstate New York, was approached by two patrolmen, he stood up and pulled an object out of his rectum. He then tossed the sex toy over his shoulder, said James Patel. What the fuck? What the fuck? Wow. Uh, he said he liked to get naked and enjoyed filming himself with a butt plug. Okay, moving right along after I take a comment shower after that one. Trinity College of Professor calls white people inhuman. Let them fucking die. This is from June 21st. I don't know why I missed this. Connecticut college, college professor has created a firestorm by calling white people inhuman assholes who need to die following last week's shooting attack on congressional Republicans. Trinity College Johnny, Johnny Eric Williams social media feed after the June 14th shooting of Representative Steve Scalise included racial tirades and commentary calling all minorities to confront white people and end this now, a, suprem- a reference to an alleged system of white supremacy. It is past time for the racially oppressed to do what people who believe themselves to be white will not do. 
put in the vector of the destructive methodology of whiteness and their white supremacy system. Hashtag, let them fucking die. The time is now to confront these inhuman assholes and end this now. The educational watchdog campus reform in the blaze both reached out to the professor for comment. He said, go fuck yourself. Um, so basically, is it okay for one of your professors to issue this hateful, divisive statement? They asked, and they got no goddamn response, all right? Then the media covered it, because this is how the media would have covered it. Not that he said it, it was in time. Trinity College professor flees state amid death threats over inflammatory social media posts. Inflammatory. That's called racism time, if you reverse the colors. But okay. Um, they said he fled the state after receiving death threats. Johnny Williams has been a social so, sociology professor at Trinity since 96. Recently shared a Medium article by an author known as Son of Baldwin. Called a show indifference to the lives of bigots. The article included an accusation that Steve Scalisi was shot last week <clears throat> by a congressional baseball practice and saved by Capitol Police officers who were black, holds racist views. What does it mean in general when victims of bigotry save the lives of bigots? Saving the life of those that would kill you is the opposite of virtuous, it added. Let them fucking die. Um, later on in the article... Posts were made reference to failure, not in the reference to the Virginia shooting. They're thinking I'm talking about Congressman Williams told the Koran. That's not a, at all the case. Calling for the death of system white supremacy, not the death of white people. Oh, okay, the root. College campus shut down after professor let them fucking die. Hashtag scares white people. This article is the root. The root is a subsidiary of Universal, which is NBC, and a twisted narrative that includes butthurt white people, conservative trolls, a black college professor, a racist congressman, and an online essay. Connecticut College shut its campus down for what it called threats received after a professor at the college shared an article suggesting that first responders should let bigots die. About a week ago, an essay entitled Let Them Fucking Die began circulating on secret black email network. A secret black email network. Isn't that interesting? Yes, there is one. Wait, what I was I not supposed to mention that? The piece by Son of Baldwin pointed out the black queer woman saved Representative Steve Scalise life during the recent congressional baseball shooting. Scalise is known for spewing racial bile, and none of that is fucking true. It went viral. Fusion had an article. Um, Williams later added in a pastime, blah, blah, blah. Black people saw these status updates, probably thought they were a little hot pish, mostly because they had white in quotation marks, and everyone has met at least one hot tap who tried to lecture you on a 1482 universal legal definition of the word black. Williams ran sound a little upset, but people of color knew he didn't mean any violence. Of course you knew that. Oh, okay. It was it was special speech. Because never in the history of mankind has a terrorist manifesto included the word vector. Black people simply assumed that Williams, as a teacher of sociology and race, was going through one of those days that anyone mired in 500 years of white supremacy will occasionally suffer through. But it scared white people, and they go on to basically be racist for another 10 pages. Yeah. They even wrote shit about, uh, even though the situation seems to have been resolved, you know, the YP poll society for outrage and the butt herdness didn't get it reput reput reputation by letting shit slide. 
people are still calling for William's ouster, and you know, they roped a Negro into it, and so uh, they had a local state representative. He's a Negro, because he doesn't listen to them. Uh, they end it, and that, boys and girls, a letter on the black side of the internet made white people think a black man was going to cause a sequel to 9-11 and Sandy Hook. If you too are outraged about a hashtag that suggests black people should let racist whites die, here's something you can definitely do about it. Stop being racist. So they're saying that uh, if you call out somebody for being racist, you're racist because it doesn't matter what you say, it's all about your skin color. And I think that's the definition of racist. Uh, it ended up this fuckhead got suspended. Um... And that was from the college fix. They covered it. And I am just like, wow. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> the other one, uh, the Essex County College, one we covered a couple months ago. She's finally fired. She was fired. And I think we reported her to be suspended. SMU students outraged that 9-11 memorial flags must be moved. Uh, update 905 revised to include the SMU as updated as campus expression policy by removing language about harmful or triggering messages. An earlier version of this article incorrectly, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so what they did is SMU officials revised a policy Tuesday that aimed to protect students from harmful or triggering messages after a dispute erupted over annual 9-11 installation the students had planned for the heart of the campus. Nearly 3,000 flags have been placed on SMU's Dallas Hall every year since 2010, but the group responsible for the display, Young Americans of Freedom, was recently told they must move it. University officials told Grant Wolf, who leads this chapter, that the display can be placed only on Morrison McGinnis Park, a less prominent campus location, formerly known as Momac Park. In a policy posted in July, SMU stated the university respects the right of all members of SMU community to express their opinions. The university also respects the rights of all members of the community to avoid messages that are triggering, harmful, or harassing. It is the policy of the university to protect the exercise of these rights. The university revised the policy. SMU respects the rights of all campus community members to express their opinions as well as their rights to be free from coercion and harassment. The policy has been further updated to better reflect the balance and to remove the poor wording regarding triggering or harmful messages, it said in a written statement. The university has approved the 9-11 memorial but said it, like all approved displays, will be at Momac Park. Wolf is stumped by the school's decision to limit lawn display to a green space farther from the main academic buildings. The Un-American and other student groups called the new policy an attack on free speech. I don't believe it's the responsibility of the university to shield individuals from certain ideas they might be offended by, he stated. But in the end, what this is about is they're afraid Muslims will be triggered by all the flags. That's a trigger. American flags, you know, memorializing the fact that a bunch of goddamn terrorists got on fucking planes and killed 3,300 Americans is bad. Hmm. That's, that's amazing to me. But totally understood on our campuses. I mean, let's, let's, let's admit it. I mean, America's bad. We had it coming. Those are statements fucking professors said. Back to some crazier stuff. Passenger makes premature exit from arriving at SFO flight gate. Seven-year-old kid just popped open the emergency door and jumped out of the fucking plane. And he never got arrested, by the way. 
What the fuck is wrong with the world? This is what's wrong with the world. Women expelled from, or excuse me, woman, let me get it right, expelled from McDonald's for breastfeeding, wait for it, her dog. Her dog, not her baby. All you Lalancha people, put down your claws. It was a dog. A woman that was expelled from New Jersey McDonald's for allegedly breastfeeding her six-week-old puppy is suing for $1.1 million. The old manager says she was expelled because McDonald's has a no-animal policy. Adele Albright, 32, claimed, 32, claims the restaurant manager specifically expelled her because she was breastfeeding in a public and inalienable right in the state of New Jersey. 49 states, District Columbia, and Virgin Islands have laws that specifically allow women to breastfeed in public or private locations. The law clearly specifies that a mother shall be entitled to breastfeed in any location or place of a public accommodation, resort, or amusement wherein the mother is otherwise permitted, the lawyer said. Although Miss Albright said she covered herself and sat far away from other customers, Owner Steve Owens claims many of his customers have complained and were indisposed by the scene. One old lady passed out and had to leave in an ambulance, said an eyewitness. Although animals are allowed inside all McDonald's franchise, according to the Americans with Disability Act, which allows the use of service dogs, New Jersey state law also allows women to breastfeed in public places as well as judgment could create a legal precedent and admit legal experts. How in the Fuck! Does the breastfeeding law apply for a dog? Only in America. This is this is this is first world fucking goddamn shit. They're gonna they're gonna win. You watch. They're gonna win. There's gonna somebody's gonna stretch some constitutional right to breastfeeding a dog. Get the fuck out of here. Cops. Bride pulled out handgun on her groom. Yeah, I read that. Newlywed removed 9mm pistol from beneath her wedding, and this is from Tennessee. A newlywed removed a 9mm pistol from beneath her wedding dress and pulled the trigger while pointing the weapon at her new husband, police charge. Officers were summoned early Friday morning to a Murfreesboro motel where Kate Elizabeth Pritchard, 25, and her spouse, James Jared Burton, 30, were squabbling only hours after exchanging their vows. When cops arrived, a clarion in, a dump by the way, because we've stayed in Murfreesboro. Around 1 a.m., Pritchard, who was in her wedding dress, and Burton denied that anything was amiss. But interviews with witnesses contradict the couple's tale, as described by the police department. Pritchard and her spouse were engaged in an alcohol-fueled argument outside the hotel. During the quarrel, cops allege Pritchard pulled out a handgun from a wedding dress and pointed the weapon at his head. Pritchard pulled the trigger, but the gun did not discharge since it was unloaded. Bond was set for 15 Oh, really? You just fulfilled all the crazy that people think about the South. And I hate you for it because it was in Tennessee. And that's like an hour and a half from where I live. No free speech allowed. Lena Dunham slams airline as transphobic. Here we go. Whenever liberal snowflakes get upset, you can be sure that Lena Dunham is somehow involved in her activism for political correctness to criticize an entire company to her 5.5 million followers for allowing their employees the privilege of a conversation. The new cast member of American Horror Story, which is not going to make my wife happy, boarded American Airlines on August 3rd 
and was triggered not by the delays or the wrinkled boarding pass, but by the transphobic talk she heard from two flight attendants. This must have been a truly horrible experience, as not only did she send in her complaints to American Airlines via text, but she also posted her grievance on Twitter. Hearing the supposed hate speech was for her the worst part of the night. She's showing a very sad face. Time has stopped at airport. Man is viciously gnawing fruit snacks after calling the gate attendant a bitch. Lord of flights, get it? In a text to the airline that was later tweeted out on her profile, she wrote, I heard two female attendants walking, talking about how trans kids are a trend. They never accept a trans kid as transness is gross. I think it reflects badly on the uninformed employee of your company to have this kind of dialogue going on. Awareness starts at home, but jobs can set standards of practice. To be clear, the tenants were not speaking to the passengers, they were not refusing service to anyone, and they were not pushing their beliefs on anyone. But to Lena Dillon, someone who is in the past has asked people to stop preventing real discourse, merely speaking about something in private is unprofessional if you are on the job. Bad thinking must be stamped out, and therefore the whole airline should suffer. And she posted all this shit. It's all over the place. She admonished the company... We need more heroes like Lena Dunham. We can't have people walking, disagreeing with liberal talking points. Greg Gutfeld, she actually contacted the airline to inform them of women over an overheard conversation. Think about how empty you must be to do that. She then tweeted, For those who followed my airport saga yesterday, here's my takeaway. These days, it's the little things. A smile, offering a seat, respect. Carl Gustav. Or trying to either wreck someone's career over an opinion or make shit up to damage an airline for attention. And I guarantee that's what it was. They probably didn't say anything. She just hasn't been in the news for a while, so she wants some FaceTime. To our usual weird liberal concepts on fucking yoga. Can yoga help heal racial trauma these twin city yogi girls think so (laughs) Woo! okay so the first time minneapolis resident nicole m smith attended a twin city yoga class she felt hyper aware how different she looked from her classmates sure she has a slim athletic figure the stereotypical yogi build but she was the only black woman in the room, which made her feel self-conscious and excluded. There were times I felt certain invisibility, where people walked on my yoga mat. I don't feel like it's intentional, but a spiritual space where you're trying to connect with yourself, these kinds of triggering happenings can make one feel unsafe. The experience left Smith with misgivings about attending future yoga classes. But she kept looking and eventually found an appealing option. A restorative practice for women of color at One Yoga. The class completely shifted my relationship with yoga. And that's so important to me right now. I feel so much better for this person. In recent months, Twin City Yoga instructors have partnered with One Yoga and the Minneapolis Urban League to launch brand new class, especially for just women of color. Let it sink in. Just women of color. Instructor Sarita Colette started working earlier this year with One Yoga, a non-profit in South Minneapolis, to launch a series of workshops for women and gender queer people. Of only color. 
and the Urban League worked with instructor Rebecca Nadosi for the first three classes, and they were free, held in conjunction with Women's Wellness Month in May. Many people of color have experienced what experts of the American Psychological Association call racial trauma. High-profile police killings, especially, have led to a heightened sense of fear in the communities of color. Symptoms of racial trauma can include depression and angry outbursts at people who are white. They actually say that, not me. Can the healing powers of yoga ease at least some of the symptoms of racial trauma? Being able to provide tools for people of color to practice their own yoga and mindfulness doesn't have to be against something. It's a return to self-care that generates a whole different kind of energy and that can help us continue to uplift our larger communities and bring health and positivity in. Okay. 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 What the fuck, man? We've done stories about goat yoga, how yoga is saving people after the election, and now you're having racial trauma because somebody got shot on your TV. I don't think yoga is going to save you. I think you need a little more help. Sims 4 users compete to get their virtual kids taken fastest by CPS, is the article, which I think is hilarious. Players for the new Sims 4 game have started speedrunning how fast they can go from game to start to have a child taken away by Child Protective Service. YouTuber Simply Geese has made a new record, 15 minutes and 38 seconds. To do this, you have to get married, pregnant, and go through birth. Then actively neglect your child and CPS shows up and people are loving it. More people need to get it, go into this, posted YouTuber Enyaya and NO7 said. This is the most hilariously morbid thing I've seen regarding the video showing the record being beaten, which is now trending on YouTube. Okay, I thought this was something totally different. Because I thought they were just making a joke about how gamers neglect their kids. But this is actually a game. And now I feel foolish. Because sweet Jesus, what is wrong with people? What is wrong with you? Jesus. I'm going to take a comet bath. We're moving along. CNN op-ed. Employers should mandate gender-neutral language. The author of Tuesday column on CNN.com called for on companies and organizations to make gender-neutral language mandatory in the workplace. As American society supposedly needs to move beyond the assumption that everyone should assimilate into the categories of male and female, Heath Fogg Davis, a transgender political science professor, wow, we just made up some shit, didn't we? Okay. Proposed that employers should require that everyone adopt a general Gender neutral pronoun. And I, I got the fix for this. I'm not going to read the whole article because it just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever about how important this word shift is. I'm going to call all of you fucking moon bats. Moon bats is totally gender neutral and you're all moon bats. Because if your life is so empty that you worry about pronouns, you're a moon bat. You need to eat a bag of dicks and go fuck yourself. This one went crazy online, so I threw it in the. I threw it in here. I guess Jenna Jameson and Chunk Unger got into it because Chunk Unger, a total lip moonbat, is going to debate Ben Shapiro. 
She said he's going to be destroyed. I throw it in this segment because, remember, if a conservative says that Sandra Fluke's a goddamn slut, it's front page news. NBC leads off with it. Even though that guy was Rush Limbaugh, not a Republican, but a news person or a talk show personality. So Chunk Unger tweeted back to her, I remember watching you getting destroyed too. People started saying, keeping it classy, eh? I see that's okay for progressives to slut shame as long as the woman in question has conservative views. Amanda Pritigal-Como, progressive check slut... Chink Slunger, Unger, sorry, I'm fucking it up. Slut shame Jenna Jameson, and there's not a feminist in sight. Weird. Rita Panashi, classy work from the Amer- Armenian genocide denier. He actually is. And Jenna Jameson just says, kind of like your credibility. Yeah. How is that okay, folks? Y- you can't do it when you're a uh, uh, conservative. But you can slut shame. Okay. Stephen Miller did a tweet. They've officially run out of things to be angry about. This is a new wave of we've run out of things called racist. Remember, we talked about solar eclipse. This one trumps it. We need to talk about digital blackface and reaction to gifts. Why is it so common? This was actually an article. By Lauren Michael Jackson. Are you ready for it? Make sure you got some popcorn. Adore despise them. Gifts are integral to the social experience of the internet. Thanks to a range of buttons, apps, and keyboards saying it me without words, it's easier than ever. But even a casual observer of gifting would notice that as with much of online culture, black people appear at the center of it all or images of black people at the the least. The Real Housewives of Atlanta, Oprah Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, NBA players, Tiffany Pollard, Kid Fury, and many, many others known as anonymous black likeness dominate day-to-day feeds, even outside online black communities. Similar to the idea that the black vine is simply vine, as Jez Azaw determined in the all Black reaction gifts have become so widespread that they practically become synonymous with just reaction gifts. If you've never heard of the term before, digital blackface is used to describe various types of minstrel performance that become available in cyberspace. Blackface minstrelsies is a theatrical tradition dating back to the 19th century in which performers blacken themselves up with costumes. The performance puts society's most racist sensibilities on display. Yada, 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 yada. While often associated with Jim Crow era racism, the tenets of minstrel performances remain alive today in television, movies, music, and its most advanced iteration on the internet. Megan McKay, so rude, so nasty, from some woman from the Real Housewives of Atlanta, And she said, this is my day. Someone explained to me the point of fat shaming Sean Spicer. It is just to humiliate him even more. What is this? And she put a gift. Was her second one. 
Unlike other physical executions of blackface, such as Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder, Sarah Silverman on her own show, Rachel Dozal, or the author of AB to Jay-Z, that require physical alterations and usually a change in demeanor, digital blackface is in some ways a more seamless transformation. Digital blackface uses the relative anonymity of online identity to embody blackness. In the case of Mandy Harrington, a white woman who masquerades as the fictional Laquita Jones, digital blackface became a means for her to defend musician and Annie DeFranco's decision to host a retreat at a slave plantation. Digital minstrels often operate under stolen profile pictures and butchered AAVE. Quite, quite often it comes in the form of an excessive use of reaction gifts with images of black people. This is real. They're, they're upset about this. This is something we shouldn't be doing. It goes on and on and on and on. But no digital behavior exists in a derachialized vacuum. We all need to be cognizant of what we share, how we share, and to what extent that sharing dramatizes pre-existing racial formulas inherited from real life. The internet isn't a fantasy. It's real life. That's a real thing. People are now saying, if you use a gift that has a black performer in it, you're a racist. Are you fucking real? Which segues perfectly into majority of Americans have unfavorable view of Black Lives Matter. Say black crime is a top concern. Actual freaking poll. Only 43% of voters find Black Lives Matter to be a great thing. 83% of black people think it's awesome. But nobody else does. 57% literally believe Black Lives Matter is bad. And you know why? Not because they're racist. Probably not even because they don't believe the bullshit about only black people are being shot. They probably don't know any better. It's because of dumb shit like that. If everything's racist, what is racist, you freaking jackasses? To our lighter fare. All right, Sean King put out an article this week, and I put it in the lighter fare because that's, that's the white black dude. He's like Rachel Dozell because he's not black, but he acts like he's black. New York Daily News, Kaepernick ongoing free agency is fundamental abuse of Christ's ministry. I swear to God, he did an entire article that this is so unreligious and he quoted the gospel in some way. I don't know if he's trying to say that Kaepernick is like Jesus and we're the Jews because we think, hey, he's a shitty fucking quarterback and we're sick of him not protest, not standing up for the flag. But, I just laughed. I was like, what the fuck? How many angles can we take on Kaepernick? The dude sucks. That's why nobody's getting him. And when you suck and you bring a bunch of baggage, or if you think he's not sucky, which I do because I've watched him in his prime and then I watched him against my Packers get clubbed, the fact of the matter is if he's just okay, but he brings, you know, he's a perpetual backup, but he brings all this baggage with him, why would you want it on your team? You want a locker room that's fucking tight because you want to win the goddamn Super Bowl. You don't want to win the freaking 
freaking uh, award for the best protest. That's not what we're looking for here. Idiots. Simultaneously, uh, when I was reading this, actually, on the TV, was Grumpier Old Man. And so I, I found a blooper reel. This is my favorite all-time movie. Something about old people cursing is just fucking hilarious. So I'm sure you've all said it or heard it, excuse me, or you've watched it a million times. But I, I had a play today in honor of Walter Matthau and that other dude who are both past. That other dude that was really professional. <laughs> Jack Lemon, there it is. My brain locked for a second. Uh, I had to play blooper, blooper reel. I love these guys. They're fantastic. He's in. He's in. Looks like he's going to enter the Holy of Holies and call Edith uninterrupted. Well, I throw back what I'm not going to eat. Oh, yeah, like that 40-pound muskie you're always yakking about. It's a shame that, that um, your uncle has a fish market on 23rd Street and 14th Avenue. And uh, straight, you dummy. Uh, you schmuck. Yeah, it looks like Chuck Slipperner, the old salami. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> oh, hello. Hello. I'm Ronald Reagan. I uh, used to be president of the United States. I live across yes. the street. Yes, over there. I was also in the movies for a while. I was a lousy actor. Looks like Chuck's going to put the hot dog in the bun. Jesus, Dad. That's why I came down. Yeah, I well, then we'll spit it out. But don't shout at me. I'm not shouting. Much Mike took us to get here on New Year's Eve or Christmas or whatever the f*** is. And, uh... <laughs> Looks like Chuck's a tomcat on the prowl. Yeah. I got a pinch sciatic. It'd make your lumbago look like ice tray. Hey, he is, does he, would he, is he? Yes, he is. is he? Looks like Chuck's taking the old log to the beaver. Looks like Chuck's gonna bury his boner. Hey. Yeah, that's why you're a moron. If you hadn't had Amy, then if you were stuck with the fern clyde, you put your cravats out in the front of it. I suck a fern. Thank you, Sean. I suck a fern. I can't carve the collar. Yeah, it looks like Chuck's taking the skin boat to Tuna Town. Looks like Chuck's. Taking a ride on the wild baloney pony. Who left? <laughs> what do you say we go back to my place and I'll show you my spicy, peppy, Pepperoni. What do you say we go back to my house and I'll show you my man-sized manicotti? Beautiful. I am the gangster of love. I am the Lothario of farts. I don't know where I am. I can't. I farted and I'm afraid to move. What's the hell is her name? Ariel? Ariel. What's her name again? Maria. Maria. She left me. You're surprised? You don't even know her name. Hey, dickhead. I'm stuck. You know, I've been to Hawaii. 
Rich Island. I kind of like a poker. You like a licky-dicky. I'm a kind of kinky. Want to peek a baby? Some stranger could catch our fish. Some schmuck with his fish and my fish and your fish up on the fucking wall. And I am so horrible. <laughs> Get another actor, please. She's nothing but a pig-headed Italian with... Go one more from the top and a little bit more out of breath, yeah? If I was more out of breath, I'd be dead. You're still a putz. That's my line. You will never even know it's there. Okay. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> He's a criminal. <laughs> Should the bail be up? Halt. Jesus Christ! Why don't, don't you look hey. where you're going there? Why don't you come to my place? I'll show you my beefy baloney. Huh? No? How would you like my bony macaroni? Or my fatty Alfredo? Or my hard salami? I got them all. Classic stuff. Those guys are so funny. I've lined up my Amazon account with uh, The Odd Couple, all their movies, and I'm going to watch them because I think it's just fantastic. That is some some great stuff. They were fantastic actors, and you just don't have that anymore. You don't have that quality of actor. I mean, look at what we watched today. How many of you actually gone to a movie? I haven't gone to a movie in ages. There's nothing to watch. It's just all crap. Just as usual now, we're closing with a serious subject, and I saw this one, and I'm only covering it because I wanted to just pontificate for a little bit before we close out. Man exposed genitals to a child in Walmart. A Colorado man was arrested Wednesday morning in Gulf Breeze, Walmart, after he allegedly exposed his genitals to an eight-year-old girl. Jonathan O'Brien was seen on surveillance footage following the girl through the store, according to Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office report. He appeared to be touching his genitals at the time. He was within four feet of the victim when he allegedly started stroking his genitals. He then turned and exposed himself to the girl. The report said the girl told her mother about the incident. The video shows O'Brien leaving and returning to the store, at which point he began watching another child. Deputies then detained O'Brien. Upon searching the person, deputies found a glass pipe for smoking crack in his right front pocket, according to the report. O'Brien is charged with second-degree felony lewd and lascivious behavior. Lascivious? I don't know, that's not a word. Lascivious behavior with less than 16-year-old girl in a first-degree misdemeanor drug equipment possession. O'Brien is held in Santa Rosa County Jail in $26,000 bond. I'm heading that way. Um, in, in a mere week, uh, I'll be down on our pilgrimage to Pensacola Beach and Gulf Breeze is what you drive through to get to Pensacola Beach shocked me because it's a great community but it highlighted something you know where I work now is uh, once again a public space and then post military from 2006 until 2016 I worked in retail and I just don't think people understand how dangerous this world is for your children 
I think they understand as adults you can get raped and shot, carjacked. I mean, they didn't think about it, but they don't think about the kids. Right where I work now, I have people just dropping off children. No food. Can't go home. No water. Nobody will pick them up. And in stores forever, I watched literally kids just walking around. No kid, no parents using the bathroom. Four-year-old kids using a bathroom in a public space. And while California is handing out free licenses to illegal aliens, sometimes it shocks me that we don't have a license to be a parent or at least a mandatory class. And I'm against big government, but damn, folks, how the hell does your kid get abducted? How the hell does your kid get sexually assaulted as a parent? I, I, I know it happens, and there's parents that do everything, and that it still happens. So I know there's those cases, but this story just shocked me that as a parent, how... Do you not notice a guy following your little girl? I mean, it's just beyond me how that happens. And you don't know. Your kid has to tell you. The lack of self-awareness because you're stuck on your fucking phone and not paying attention. So, you know, I don't know what we do as a society. I know it's a small percentage of parents who don't give a fuck about their kids. But it's sad when you think about it. Because that girl right there, as small as that is, it's not small to a child. She now saw some strange dude's junk. And for the rest of her life, she's going to carry that with her. And that's just just sad. So I, I don't know what we do. I don't know how we fix it. But I see it every day and it, it just hurts my soul to see kids neglected like they are because it, it may not be that bad. And you think, well, you know, they got food and clothing and they got shelter, yada, yada, yada. But there's more needed for a child. It's just not putting a shirt on their back and handing them some fucking fruit loops. And when I see kids that the parents won't even come get them and they're crying, I just don't, I don't grasp that because you know, I always wanted to be a parent. It's what I wanted to be. I wanted kids, and I did it at a young age. <clears throat> and yeah, there were times I yeah, yeah, sure. But I don't think I ever went out in public and just let my kids roam free. It just didn't happen. And I see it all the time. So, sobering note, but we'll end this podcast. Another episode a flyover politic podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments by email on FOPPODCAST at gmail.com, FOPPodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Make sure you check out the flyover politic webpage at FOPPODCAST.com, FOPPodcast.com. It's a theme. There you see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and the email. You'll also see every episode listed on the episode release page. And my blog on the blog page. Looking to do a midweek podcast and probably a Friday podcast since I postponed this from a Friday free for, for Friday free for all to a Sunday free for all, which is really 
lame, I know, but life got in the way. So be looking for a Wednesday podcast next, and we'll get back on track with some good subjects and hit the latest stupid. Remember to hit pause. Enjoy your family and friends, the people you love. Give them your undivided attention by disconnecting from your stupid devices because before you know it they're grown they're gone or as we all do they pass on and they're not there anymore and you surely will regret the time you did not spend with them enjoy the rest of your weekend friends have a great beginning of your work week talk to you wednesday and as usual thanks for listening Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor.